What's up, everybody? Hello. <laughs> <laughs> you always want more energy. Trying to give you energy. I'm fucking pepping my step. Let's get the let's get the uh, echo back in here. That'd be fantastic. Do some trucks, monster truck shit. Can I have some uh, background music while I'm uh, reading my ads? <laughs> Now let's talk about two dudes rolling together on a mat. So the podcast is always and forever will be brought to you by Port City Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. Located at 8 Greenleaf Woods Drive. Uh, It's located inside the Seco Sports Center. Um, Seco Sports Center has everything you could possibly imagine. It's got pools, a sauna, weights. Uh, cardio machine, but who cares? It's got jujitsu. That's right, an awesome <laughs> jujitsu academy. If is you're located. looking, you mind? Go for it. All right. If you're looking for it, oh, I get double mic'd. Sweet. If you're looking for it, high five the guy at the desk. Say you're looking for Derek, and then you go back to the racquetball courts, and it's right there. Number five. Number five. Number five. All right. Back to you. I just want to say high five the dude in the front. The guy that it. runs the front desk is pretty awesome. I like him a lot. He's pretty friendly. Sends everybody in the right direction. Uh, so we're open seven days a week. Uh, you have multiple classes every day for different skill levels, beginner, advanced. Uh, we have a kids program. <laughs> is that the recorder from Home Alone? Talk Boy, it is. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> Squirrels. <laughs> Squirrels. <laughs> Um, so come in and check us out. We do a uh, a, a six weeks uh, and a free gi special for uh, sixty nine bucks, and then uh, after that, you can pick your level of training. Um, come try us out; it'll change your life, I promise. And also by Ever Proven CrossFit, we are currently uh, located in the Old Mills, downtown Dover, New Hampshire. Um, <laughs> shit out of my face uh 51 washington street um right in the heart of the city if you want to get a hold of us you can't quite find our location because we are buried in the uh buried in the basement of the old mill uh it's 603-740-0822 or you can email stone s-t-o-n-e at everproven.com that's spelled e-v-r-p-r-v-n.com you can answer ask questions to her or just call us. We like to answer the phone sometimes, unless the music is too loud. Kevin likes to play hair metal all the time. <laughs> so um, come on down. We're a full-on CrossFit gym. We also have anything fitness-related you really want to. Yoga. All right? I feel like a lot of people don't yeah, take we got advantage yoga. of that yoga. Yeah, we, we do, do have yoga, and, it, and it's awesome. Um, so you can come and check it out. We also have kids' programs um, as... Well, some team team programs as well. We pretty much hit us up if you have any questions whatsoever. Um, we can scale up, down, no matter what age you are, young or old. Um, we've got something for you, and uh, you can you can get it going. All right. So here's the podcast. Here's the podcast.
back to Sharp Iron Society. What number is this again? 13. Hiatus. Lucky 13. My lucky number. You ever heard that Johnny Cash song, 13? How's it go? Sing it. Uh, I can't, to be honest with you. I know you have a beautiful singing voice. But uh, it was written by Danzig, and then he gave it to Johnny Cash. It's a pretty awesome song. Oh, is it part of the uh, American recordings? Yep. (laughs) And talks about having the number that... 13 tattooed on his neck it's pretty awesome there's a lot there's a lot of like there's a lot of music in the american recordings it's extensive it's like more than one like album though right isn't it it's like yeah multiple and then each album has like 30 (laughs) songs on it (laughs) all right so today we have coach kevin with us good morning say hi to the world um, he's, uh, I know that, well, I know of, he's a coach of, a coach at Everproven CrossFit. He also coaches, uh, UNH rugby team and a slew of other things that we're going to find out about today. Oh, exciting. So, yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, that's a good thing to open up with because, um, I took a goal setting mm. seminar, if you will. In air quotes, I don't know, it was like an hour long talking about goal setting. And you rattled off this list of things that you do in your lifetime or like on your like in your life now. How and why and what is it exactly that goes on in your daily like you're the like Scott and I talk about being busy. You blow the two of us out of the water <laughs> with the stuff that you do. <laughs> Thank you. That's, a, that's quite a <laughs> Is compliment. this going to be another Candace interview? Yeah. Right. Where you're like, what? <laughs> it's like, I'm going to leave here feeling demoralized and feel like I just don't do enough <laughs> with my life. <laughs> it's funny because every podcast I listened to, I thought the same thing. I'm like, oh my God, these people are amazing. Like Candace and Elliot, what they've gone through. And yeah, forget it. Robbie. Robbie's just good at everything. Robbie right. makes you feel very mortal right. with everything. Right. <laughs> the, 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 the funniest... Like, well, there's many funny stories about Robbie, but like the most subtle, funny story about Robbie that I have is I've been trying to learn to do muscle ups, ring muscle ups. And like Elliot and Matt have been helping me so much and like talking about stuff. It kind of took a little break because of the opens, but I remember when I was trying it and <laughs> Robbie just walks by and he's like, just throw yourself up there and like walks off. But he was like, just completely serious. I'm like, that's just typical Robbie. Like, like he's like, Dead serious, like, just store yourself up there. What's wrong with you? Right. I'm just like, do it. Yeah, this coming from the kid that it's like, it's like, oh, that looks cool. Like, when he first joined us in, in CrossFit, he's like, oh, that looks cool. I'm going to try it. And then he does it. Right. With, I mean, just yeah. flirting. And, and then regionals the year after. Yeah. Just I'll try that. Yeah. Right. Pretty amazing. Yeah. yeah. So how do, how do I get it all done? I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm very respectful of my time and making sure that I'm productive when... I have time. Right. I think that's the biggest thing. There's a lot of people, if they look, they say, I don't have time to do that. It, they really do. Right. If they were more productive and more respectful of their time, they'd get it all done. Right. So, and I've been absolutely blessed lucky to be able to have jobs where, you know, I can, I can kind of make, not really make my own hours, but at least be able to, um, you know, make time after work. There's some folks that might be stuck in a two-hour commute every day after work. Right. And then that's legit. They don't have time for things. So... I've been very blessedly lucky to be able to like, you know, make good use of time that's been given. Right. Yeah. I think that's a, I think that's an overall, uh, 
kind of mantra in my entire life is like, make sure you've been given, you know, make good use of the time you've been given. Right. I think I, I really heard that in Candace's, you know, podcast as well. Right, right. Uh, so coach CrossFit, coach rugby, teach a class at UNH. I do. Uh, That's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Is yeah, it's funny. I took I took this semester off, but I teach one class over there. I teach to about 270 kids at a time. And so I get them all in a room for one night, uh, one day a week, and it's it's pretty cool. We have a good time. It's one of those things that I have fun, and so I'm assuming that everyone else in the class is having fun. Right. And I'm sure there's, yes, there's like, you know, two or three that are having a blast. Um, but what's really amazing to me is like they don't understand any of the, the old movies anymore. Right. So my entire humor is based on like Animal House and Caddyshack and Simpsons. <laughs> right. And they don't get a single one of those jokes. Right. Like I might crack out some Monty Python joke and there's one kid that laughs. Right. And I'm like, okay, you get an A. You can go home now. Right. That's it. Uh, what, what, is, what is the class exactly? Like, it's on, uh, on like technology and crime. So like the history of the internet. All right. Um, I kind of have a background uh, for a couple of years in, in, law enforcement support and computer crimes and right. that sort of stuff. So I took the work that I was doing there and, and I went, when I got my master's at UNH, I, uh, I helped kind of develop this course there and then, and then started teaching it. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So it's a lot of fun. So it's kind of neat. A lot of the kids now, they, they, and I say kids, they're, they're, they're adults. They really are, but they've grown up now in a culture where they just use technology. They're not really aware of what's going on behind the scenes. You know, what makes it all work? What happens when you hit, you know, a Facebook request? Like, where does it go? Like, right. you know, is there is there little hamsters in the computer running around that make this all happen? So it's pretty neat just to to lead them through how all that stuff works and kind of go old school on them a little bit. Right. I just was actually listening to, it's funny you talking about this. I, uh, there was a thing on NPR about how... Um, gps was developed yeah like with the whole like and like the whole reason that gps was developed was because the russians wanted to be able to know where to launch nuclear missiles from and now it's like one of those things that everybody uses it it's in your phone like there's no one doesn't have gps but it was all developed because of nuclear warfare it's it's like there's the craziest thing ever well i mean like look at the internet (laughs) the internet came from arpanet yep is that correct that's correct Sometimes my history is yeah, cheesy. And Al Gore invented it. You know, right? <laughs> and global warming. And global warming. Damn, if Al hadn't invented global warming, we wouldn't be in this mess. Right. I remember hearing a commercial a long time ago. I think it was like FNX when FNX was actually cool. Right. Um, they had this. Uh, they had some like joke commercial that was. Um, uh, it was. It was. It was uh, George Bush. And he was like, "Hey, man, uh, <laughs> terrible George Bush impersonation." <laughs> Run with um, it. Run with it. But uh, it was like the internet is full of hate. It's full. It's full of bad things. It was like, and it's like you just hear this like somebody clicking through their email. It's just like, like porn, 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 porn. There's all this stuff in your email. This is like Al Gore invented the internet. I did not <laughs> vote for me, George Bush. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, it was a long time ago when George Bush was up against Al Gore. But, right. Um, no, I mean it's it's interesting where things come from. Um, right. I mean, it was like just just looking at like old technology. I I just watched um, the Imitation Game. Have you seen that yet? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about Alan Turing. 
Okay. Yes. Um, about that whole thing about the uh, the, the unbreakable code. I'm yeah. throwing air quotes out there on a microphone, which is working. Um, but I mean, the, the fact that it took us so long to break this unbreakable code, um, and now look at what we have. Like, yeah. Look at look at the compli- complicated codes that we have now that are just almost unbreakable. When and it's wild as you go, and you know, news stories are popping up now for stuff that's being declassified from like the 40s and 50s, and if you look at the amount of time and energy we spent trying to get aerial photos of, you know, our hostile enemies' areas, like there was a whole nice article the other day on some plane that would get launched from an SR-71, and like it was a drone, and it would go over and take photos, but then like it kept malfunctioning and crashing, and like we spent billions trying to get photos. Now we have like so many satellites up there. We have Google Earth at the touch of a button. Right. Like you know, we spent the gross domestic product of most countries trying to get what we now have as a simple point and click on Google Earth. That's kind of one of the things they're talking about is like all the like, people don't realize like what what it went through to get GPS and then now that everyone has it and now you're like trying to fucking find Starbucks or fucking Target on your phone you're like why isn't it loading yeah. why isn't it loading but do you realize the complicated network of stuff has to go through so you can find goddamn Starbucks <laughs> Louis CK on uh, on uh, what's his name David Letterman is like is like just hold on a second it's gotta go to fucking space right. <laughs> it's gotta go to space and right. come back right exactly so like, just chill out yeah, a bit it's funny yeah. That's that's I and mean, that's pretty much what the whole NPR uh, like conversation was about was like yeah. about how where it came from and people like like have no idea. That's and like Joe Rogan's that quote where he's like, "If I sent you into the hatchet with a essentially the woods with a hatchet, how long would you come take for you to come back with a battery?" Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we are so blessedly lucky of all everything that's come before us. Honestly, I mean, we. We have to be close to the to the golden age of of humans right now. I mean, it. We have every piece of information at our fingertips. I was just thinking about it coming before coming in today. Like, as a kid, what did you do if you were interested in something? Encyclopedia Britannica, buddy. That was it. Like, <laughs> I remember having an interest in electronics, and I found I found some like electronics college textbook in the library, and went home and tried to read it, and I couldn't read it. It was like you know math with no numbers type of thing. Right at at 10, 11 years old. And now I'm thinking like, geez, if I had an interest in electronics, like I can watch what, 5,000 hours of YouTube videos and just, you can become, you know, anything you want from the information that's available. I just, I find that astounding. I wish I had a younger brain, honestly. I feel like, I feel like such an old man now, like seeing how much information's available and like how much I can no longer absorb. Not only that, but it's just like the information out there is, is different from when you and I were growing up. And, and I mean, like doing, Kevin and I are somewhat close in age. Um, Just growing up, like, Doing a book report or something like that, you had to go through like these old like black and white encyclopedias right. or whatever whatever your shitty library had at at that time. Um, and now it's like it's like oh we're finding out like oh, all this information was kind of slightly askewed to to, right. to fit into like a very pretty picture of history as opposed to the nitty gritty uh, portion of history. I mean like people like I mean even even when I was in college like people like Howard Zinn were like wow. He's showing us like real history, right. not this like 
polished yeah. history that we get in encyclopedias. Well, that's kind of, I mean, kind of bringing all this together and, and it's, or connecting the dots is, do you feel like, um, well, what brings me to this is, do you know who um, Thaddeus Russell is? He's, uh, he wrote this book called, um, was he on Rogan? Yeah. And oh, okay. he's, been on, he's been on a bunch of podcasts and I've listened to like and kind of looked at some of his stuff, but I think it's uh, Renegade History of the United States. He wrote this book. It's all about how like, um, like one of the things he touches on is like how black culture has influenced pretty much every culture around him because when like the, uh, and I could be fucking this all up, but like when the Irish immigrated and then like the blacks got freed from slavery and then like uh, there's like a huge Jewish population that like they all lived in the same place was low income housing. So then like all their influences kind of got mixed or whatever. And like it's the history in the textbooks isn't exactly what you have been told all this time or whatever, but he's doing this thing calling, he's calling a renegade university and he's putting all of his lectures and things online and stuff for, I think it's open source. I mean, you might have to pay a little bit or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel like that could be the way, I mean, being a college professor having some and then also being uh kind of tied into the technology thing do you see that that's kind of the way education is going is that more online open source especially with i mean we talk about this the, like college it seems and it seems like everyone i talk to about this like al was a good example um anybody who's kind of in the ed- education field college is so hit or miss for so many people these days i mean you either get so much out of it and it's the best thing you ever did or it's almost the worst decision you ever made because you're pick the wrong thing and then you're saddled with debt forever do you feel like that technology like the aspect of technology is, is kind of changing that and 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 what direction that's going in yeah i mean there's it's funny you bring that there's a, there's actually a couple of universities now that are making a lot of their coursework just free right. and open so i know mit has some you can go listen to yeah. some like you know world renowned lecturers um i i did quite a bit in in online learning and distance learning i learned an awful lot um, and it has its place, right? You know, there's, there, you definitely need interaction. Um, and I think what I find out a lot of folks in college is they need to spend time on learning how to learn, right? That that's kind of the, the, the big gem that's missing in the overall kind of college experience or in the instructional experience is like right. getting people and saying, how do you learn? Right. Are you a visual learner, an auditory learner? Like, do you need to do stuff hands on? And we have this kind of one mode the way we go about it, um, of lecture and, and writing and exams. I mean, I was, I was really lucky as a kid. I could take exams. Right. You could probably put an exam down in front of me right now, not knowing the subject matter, and I'd get a 70. Right. Just because I can understand the logic of the questions and everything else, right? right? And there's some kids that never get that. Right. Right? So, like, um, so I think that whole idea of learning how to learn is a huge part of college. And if you can get, and that's kind of what I saw my college experience as, is I like, yeah, I went through college, but I really understood how I can sit down and within a couple of days master a subject. Right. I learned how my brain can do that, and I can just, you know, right. if, if I have to forget it later so I can find my way home, that's okay. You know, right. there's only right. a certain amount of space in there. Um, and so, but the online distance learning, I think what it's really great for, too, is is delivering that content that doesn't change. Right. Right? Like, right. I, you know, I could do lectures on the history of the internet. Like, maybe if stuff gets de- declassified or, you know, new stuff comes out, it'll change. But, you know, do we really need, you know, the history of, you know, uh, 17th century France? Like, that's probably going to be what it is. Right, for, right. At least for a while, right? Right. right. So yeah, I think... you're saying. Yeah, but then when you get to more complex subjects, it, you really need the interaction. Right. 
And you need you need that instructor to be able to recognize, wow, this person's an auditory learner, or this person, right. you know, we got to review. I got to draw a diagram on the board for the spatial guy in the corner, right? You know, and that's where really good instruction makes a difference. Yeah, that's oh, well, and it, I mean, I guess the more we're talking about it, the more I'm thinking that it probably is very subject dependent too. You know, yeah, you don't want someone getting a fucking PhD and fucking like yeah. brain Air, surgery, aircraft or, maintenance, or right, something right, like. Right. Yeah, I've never Online. touched an engine. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that I mean. <laughs> That makes a lot of sense. Well, you probably find the same thing as a coach too, right? When you're, you probably have different way you describe it, you show it, you review it, right? You know, and then there's probably some people that pick up on it right when you describe it, and they can just do it, right? And then there's other ones that like, you know, they don't have the body awareness to figure out where their hips are or what they're doing, right? So uh, when you were talking about all that, it was uh, uh, kind of uh, a light bulb moment because I feel like. That was probably because I went to college twice and dropped out, and I think that's wise because I didn't know how to learn yet. You know what I mean? Right. Which is exactly that's hit the nail on the head. And then I don't think I actually learned how to learn or how effective, or even being curious enough to learn until I started doing the martial arts, where it was something that like sparked that interest in me. And now as a coach and stuff like that, I think as much as my job is to teach the martial arts, it's also helping these people figure out how they learn best or how they even just cope with new information so then they can go take the way that they did it and apply it to their regular life too right which is it's really interesting you know and that's what i do you know i i and we were talking about this on the way over i tend to get a little too wordy with my teaching techniques but it's because i want you to know not only how to do it but why and when it's appropriate and all Mm -hmm. that stuff too so yeah it's really interesting The, the and it's amazing the different ways people learn that you wouldn't, you'd look at someone and be like, "Oh, you, you're probably very tact, like very tactile when you're learning," and they're like, "Oh no, not at all." You're like, yeah, not through me for a loop. Just tell know? me what to do. Right. I'll do it. Right. Yeah, and so. that's I think where we see a big difference between like you know D1 plus level athletes is they can watch something and they have the amazing body awareness that they watch something or you tell them what to do and they just do it. Right. You know, like Robbie. Right. Hey, just throw yourself <laughs> up on the rings. What's the matter with you? Right. You know, amazing body awareness, amazing body body control. The rest of us might have to like over the course of weeks figure out how to fire that particular muscle. Right. You know, and 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 the D one athletes or the professional athletes, they just they don't have that problem. Right. Yeah. We have a um a uh a, he's not even he's a kid, he's a grown adult, a very large grown adult that trains our academy that was uh he played basketball his whole life and he played at UConn and then he went and played uh overseas for a while and now he like he was a McDonald's All-American like four years in a row or whatever and like literally like I've given the kid maybe 10 hours total of jiu-jitsu instruction and I'm like I don't want to roll with you anymore yeah. <laughs> you're like yeah you're, I mean not to mention he's like 225 pounds and six seven and yeah. shredded and I'm like Jesus Christ. So, yeah. so I did my, just to give you an idea, I, you know, I got, I got that rude awakening in college as to what a real athlete was like. So, you know, I went, I went to a fairly small high school, you know, I played a lot of sports. I had a whole bunch of different varsity letters and all that sort of crap. Right. And then I headed up to UConn and I was really big into basketball at the time. So I may or may not have missed a few classes to go play basketball at the field house. And the field house at, U- at UConn, it was the old field house. It was set up. There was three courts that you'd play. And the two side courts were kind of like where normal people would play. <laughs> right. And then the center court is where, like, the real game happened, right. you know? So if you could dominate on the side court 
for like three, four, five games, you might get your you know hubris enough to go try and play on on the main court, right. you know. And so I remember one day, you know, I was peak of what I called my physical fitness at the time, which was now I know terrible. <laughs> um, and and I got you know I got I got my got my team together, and we're that's it. We're going on the main court, and and basically we went on the main court, and it was one versus five. There's basically the rest of the team that we were playing was just like, oh, no, hey, you know, James or whatever his name, he's just going to beat you guys today. Right. And this one guy basically beat us right. with, you know, 7-0 to zero or 11-0, to zero, whatever it was. Right. And then that guy became a walk-on onto the UConn basketball team. <laughs> right. And that guy rode the pine right. every game. Right. And I saw him get in on one game, and he looked like a kindergartner compared to these guys out there and and he was able to just dominate every other person that ever showed up on the court and it just that was a real awakening to me as to like there is some genetic component to like athletics and fitness that this guy was just so much better and then the people that were above him those d1 and the guys that are winning the national championships they're they're pretty amazing folks right they really are yeah i talk about that with because everyone we've got some uh some some crossover from the CrossFit and Jiu-Jitsu community. So, like, we have a lot of, like, uh, pretty high-level CrossFitters coming to do some Jiu-Jitsu. And, like, so I, I just because of my sheer technique, whatever, I, you know, can kind of razzle-dazzle them a little bit and, like, impress them. And then I'm like, the fucked-up thing is, is that there are people that do to me what I just did to you. Like, I don't know how many times I've walked in someplace and I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm a pretty good black belt and left there feeling like I don't know any jiu-jitsu. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Like, it's crazy the levels that people can aspire to, you know? Like, you, you think you're good, or you think you're doing pretty good, or you think you know a lot, or whatever, and then you're like, I know nothing compared to these people. It's right. insane. And yeah. I think that's funny, because I think that's one of the things that age teaches you, is a little bit of that humility. Right. And and to take it with grace, too. Right. You know, that to to train your hardest knowing. I mean, I think that's what's hard is to go in and train every single day knowing that there's always someone better. Right. Because when you're 18, you're training every single day thinking you're the best. Right. And that you're going to, if you're not the best, you're going to beat the best. And I think it's, uh, it takes a little bit of wisdom to get up to that point and be like, wow, maybe I'll go train with the best. Right. Or I'll, oh, for sure. Right. you know, and, and change your, change your mindset. Right. Yeah. And I've been fortunate enough, like in my jujitsu career or my martial arts career, to kind of um, I've somehow, some way, ended up usually training with one of the best guys in the world in whatever they're doing. Right. Which I'm like, it's I can't even tell you how it happened. It just like sheer luck or whatever. And it's always a a rude awakening to, and it's not and. It's very small details that they're doing so much better than everybody else. You know what I mean? Like it's like um, we talked about this with Scott and Elliot, and they came. We came and did a little jujitsu, and uh, so Hicks and Gracie calls it invisible jujitsu, <coughs> and it's the uh, it's not this things you're not seeing him do that are making him so much better than everyone else. So it's like the little shift in weight, or mm-hmm. it's, a, it's the the minor hand placement here. So instead of putting it on, talked about this with. Ron just a minute ago, instead of putting your hand here on the hip, it's the hand here on the hip. Still on the hip, and it's still your hand. It's just slightly different in one way or the other. Or, you know, the hip switch or pressure here to get them to move here. And it's it's all those things you're not really seeing that 
everyone gets better at. And I don't know necessarily know that anybody taught him that either. You know what I mean? A lot of that stuff is not l- learned. It's it's just discovered. Right. right? It's weird. Yeah. yeah, it makes itself known through years of trying it in different right. ways and finding the most efficient. Right. And that that's something definitely as as ages come on, I've I've gone a lot more towards efficiency than right. than just sheer going ham. Right. You know, and yeah. I th- I think that that even as a coach, it's helped me out too. To where, you know, I can see some athletes we have that can just go ham, but they're terribly inefficient. Right. <laughs> and so you're like, okay, this is great for a six minute workout or seven minute workout, and yeah, you'll probably beat us regardless because you're you're just that fit. Right. But you're terribly inefficient. Right. Yeah. No, I, I've seen that. I've seen that a bunch of times. It's just, it, it, I think actually, again, Derek and I were talking about this on the way over is, <clears throat> is throwing out those little, uh, he called it, uh, polishing, polishing, polishing. Mm. So you can, you can coach and you can get somebody in, in, in the position you want them. You can get them moving, but like, but it's like those little tiny cues to just keep on polishing, keep on polishing, keep on polishing. I mean, getting like that bar closer to the body, uh, during a clean, as opposed to just way away from the body, right? It's it, it it all boils down to, and when you get in, and as you get into those, um, I remember when we had the um, the the misfits guys at uh, at at Everproven. That was one thing that they said was like the days of CrossFit being like just brutal strength and just like destroying weights any way possible is over. You have to be. 100% efficient with every single movement that you do to be able to be one of those high level athletes and you right. watch uh, I mean watch um watch Dan Bailey do uh do Grace. Mm-hmm. They they made like I think they made a commercial out of it, didn't they? Um it's Dan Bailey just doing 30 clean and jerks at 135 and the efficiency of his movement is disgusting. Yeah, I mean, I did that with a girl with snatches too. What's what's the uh the snatch uh, workout. We just do snatch. Isabel? Isabel. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> I did one with her, too. It's like, rowing, right? Rowing, or is that? No, all she did, I think she did 30 snatches for time or something okay. like that. And uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I get confused with the girls. Yeah, yeah I don't know them at all, yeah, to be honest with you. I got to look at that poster we have on the exactly. wall. Exactly. <laughs> shit, shit. Yeah, you look for one and they're like, they're all terrible. Right. I don't want to do any of these. Right. But same no, thing. I, I like, always love that about Spieler. Like that's kind of I mean, he's he my was favorite like, crossfitter. Thank hands you, down. thank you, hands down my favorite. Like anybody who's ever, I'm like you're 160 pounds, yeah, hanging, hanging. Like clearly and clearly he's not doing any PEDs. <laughs> no, <laughs> like there are some questionable people that like you're like oh, what's going on here. But he's like you're like you're the smallest guy I've ever seen. And he is to me the like he approaches everything with like the utmost efficiency. Mm-hmm. Like, I've watched him do things, and I'm like, I can't believe he figured out, like, he just gets presented with the workout and then figures out the perfect pacing yeah. and is able to just, you know, other people come in hard, they flame out, and he just has this amazing pacing all the way He's through. Awesome, I've man. always been really, really impressed at his ability to kind of read the workout and, and, and yeah. figure out the best way to attack it. Yeah, he's awesome. And I've heard from a ton, like, so the other, like, the other opposite end of the spectrum, we were, I talked about this a little bit on that 16 point five or yeah 16.5 uh podcast it is i so i know um i mean i've heard it from robbie too because he's been around him and, and some other people but i know um this his name's dr crowley he's a uh um pt he's actually the um 
principal at St. John's Prep in uh, Andover, but he does all the PT at um, Reebok One, CrossFit Reebok One. Like he's like he's their personal PT. He goes down and works. And he works a bunch of MMA fighters, whatever. But CrossFit actually sent him to Carson to do the PT for all the athletes, or whatever. And he was like, Matt Fraser is a freak, a freak of nature because he sits there in the corner doesn't warm up practically sleeping and they're like hey you're up and he's like all right let's go and he's like they're like what's your game plan he's like i'm gonna go hard at the beginning hard in the middle and hard at the end <laughs> like he's like, <laughs> like and I, I think eventually that's probably what loses him the games every year that's why he always comes in second place right but he's like he literally like he's like they're like what's your game plan he's like i'm just gonna do this goddamn workout and get it over with which is insane like he's on like He's like Robbie. Yeah. Like, there's like no, like. Well, it's funny that you bring up Robbie because I remember talking to Robbie about uh, when Robbie went to regionals. And I was like, what, well, what's it like back in the back? Like, what are the other guys like? And he's like, a lot of them, like, kind of stick to themselves. A lot of them hang out. Like, he's like, but, like, Matt Fraser doesn't warm up. He sits in the corner and then it's like, okay, you're up, Matt. Okay. Goldus walks out and just destroys. Right. And yeah. it's like, what, the, where do you come from? Right. He's well, like he's a yeah. weird anomaly too because I feel like I would like to see him play other sports. Right. You know what I mean? Like I don't he you look at him and you're like, you know, he doesn't scream athlete. He just screams workhorse. Right. You know what I mean? Like I would like to see him like stick a yoke on him and have him plow a field. Right. Like, exactly. Like, I heard he was gonna be a basketball star. No, he was uh I'm kidding. Oh, he's like five something. Well, I he <laughs> it's the worst basketball player ever. Robbie wasn't joking when he was gonna be a figure skater. His, both his parents are Olympic figure I, skaters. I thought that was Robbie being Robbie. No, that's one hundred percent serious. And are you sure? Because I, I think I thought his parents were weightlifters. No, his parents are Olympic figure skaters, and he sucked at it. Like I think, like I, I legitimately think he had weak <laughs> ankles, and that's why he wasn't good at it. And he started weightlifting in, um, in high school. And I guess like he got so into it that the like, from the story I remember, I listened to an interview with him. He started at his high school with some guy who wasn't very good at weightlifting and he got so into it that his dad would take him after school and go to a weightlifting place in like it was like some one of the olympic coaches lived in vermont and uh that's how he got into it and then he went to olympic training center broke his back and that's when he stopped his weightlifting compute his uh like career and then switched over to crossfit but i'm pretty sure his, both his parents are olympic figure skaters i'm pretty sure I, i'm really excited canadian to see- olympic figure skaters yeah that's amazing. Go figure. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm just really excited to see as the sport continues to grow, like what is it going to look like when the pool of people that are entering CrossFit is so much bigger? And oh, we yeah. start getting those D1 athletes or professional athletes yeah. that have the ability, you know, we get a Bo Jackson that starts CrossFit. <laughs> like what is that going to look like? We talked about this a little bit too. Is like, you know, who would like to see do a, a CrossFit workout? Um, and then another thing we talk about is, did you see that Randy Moss just did the Spartan race? No. Yeah. And it was actually like, so like they had him do all this different stuff. Like, I, I, don't, I don't really know that much about Spartan race, but like they had him throw a spear at like a, like a, a <laughs> at a target. At a, well, it was like a, a like a, yeah, like a, it's like a hay bale thing. Hay bale. Like, yeah, it looks like a guy. I've been, I've been in like a dozen Spartan. I got that damn 
spear thing once right. and it was from you know what's so i'm in the gym yeah. i'm always throwing the pvc pipe against the floor right yeah i finally got the spear in the thing right it's a 30 burpee penalty right well he, I, he did I, it I did that he did it first try yeah like, exactly because he like so randy moss is one of those guys like i've heard from like so bill belichick i'm not a huge football fan or anything but like he said that he's one of the smartest people when it comes to total football knowledge so they said like he can throw like a fucking 70 yard spiral anyway so throwing a spear into a hay bale at fucking yeah. 20 feet probably is a big deal. Not, no but uh i the other thing we've, we've talked i've talked about this with with ellie a little bit and robbie was um i'd like to see jj watt do a crossfit workout <laughs> only because you ever, i don't know if either of you have hbo but um if you don't you should track down the hard knock season that the texans are on it because it's pretty much the jj watt show right but like He's doing, um, so he talks about there's a thousand pound tire that he has. And he's like, when I came into training camp, he's like, I could flip it once a day. Flip this thousand pound tire once a day. He's like, last week on a Monday, he's like, I did it 36 times. He's like, so I thought I could do it more. So on Tuesday, I did it 42. And then he's like, then on the Wednesday, I did it 72 times. What? So he flipped a thousand pound tire 72 times in one day in the off season. But then I've also seen him take... Uh, two, and two, it's also 140 times over three days. Right. That's even more impressive. Take 80 pound dumbbells in his hand and do a 52 inch box jump. Yeah. Like, so, like, the, he's one of those people, like, uh, during like spring training when all like so people come and watch the Texans practice, he has all the kids go up on the upper deck of the fucking stadium and he throws footballs. See, to I them. saw that. Like, it's like 80 yards, yeah. like vertical, and he throws footballs to him. I'm like, Jesus Christ, like, could you imagine him doing, like, any of the benchmark workouts? Right. Like, like Grace. Right. 30 clean and jerks. Do it one I would love to see him do King Kong. What's King Kong? Um, I know it's, like, a heavy deadlift, heavy clean, and um, and I think a muscle up. Or t- I, no, it's heavy deadlift, heavy clean, muscle ups, and... Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, handstand push-ups. You know who's like done... You know, if you want to see a cool video, is uh, Matt Vincent does King Kong. <laughs> and, he, like... You see a big man fly. He's like two, <laughs> 280 pounds yeah. doing muscle-ups. It's fucking awesome. Yeah, he does it pretty fast. You know, I, I watched Rich Froning do it, and, I mean, just the guy just, like, he just he just walks right through the entire thing. Right. I mean, it, it, he was doing all the weights like it was nothing. I think one of the funnier parts is, like, he does he gets he gets done the muscle-ups, gets down, and he, and he just mutter, mutters out loud. He's, he's like, oh, those ring, rings are uneven. He goes back, <laughs> he's just pulling, pulling a huge deadlift. <laughs> It's he just like right going right through it. La di da, la di da. It's like a Tuesday morning walk right. in the park. Right. So I have a question for yep. for kind of both of you. Um, so the thing that I'm going through right now is um, I'm kind of using, you know, I'm I'm interested in CrossFit as a, the sport of it or whatever, but um, and and the, the technical aspects of it. But I'm also using it as a supplement to my jujitsu and my grappling and trying to use that as a strength conditioning. Do you think to get um, maximum effectiveness out of the, the CrossFit workouts just on a daily basis, you know, whatever the programming is, do you think that pacing and things like that is, is necessary or should you just make it suck as bad as possible? How's your recovery? That's the question. Oh, I actually think that one of the, so one of the things I've been doing is like I don't I've, I've stopped keeping my writing my score down and I've just tried to 
go as hard as I can for the whole possible thing. And one thing I've noticed is that I gas out faster in the workout, but because I have to keep working out, my recovery during the workout has gotten better. Right. You know what I mean? So I can get my second wind faster. Okay. You yep. know what I mean? But like, so. <clears throat> and, and how's your recovery after? Like when you come in the next, you go, you go absolutely crazy. You come in the next day. Do you feel ready to go again, or are you sluggish? Are you? I have my good days and my bad. I yeah. mean, I think it, it, it necessarily do, isn't the the workout. It's what I'm doing outside of right. my workouts that really your water, your food, your sleep. Right, exactly. That I think that affects me way more. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I think if like I can go hard every day for a long time if I'm doing all those other things. Right. You know what I mean? Like I'm not really that injury prone if I'm getting enough water, getting enough food, getting enough sleep, doing my mobility and things like that. Like that's, that's the longevity for me right there. Um, so really like what it came down to was I was trying to find, um, like what other like high level, uh, colleges were doing in there, like for their wrestling program, for their strength and conditioning, what like the Olympic training center was doing. And after like doing some serious digging, cause for some reason people don't like to let people know that. They're all just CrossFit style workouts. Right. They just don't call it CrossFit. Right. You know, they do like, and it's a, and the other thing that was shocking to me was, um, they do a lot of barbell work. It's a lot of clean and jerks. It's a lot of snatches. You know, yeah. and it may be power snatches and power cleans and 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 hangs and not so much from the floor, but it's all just CrossFit style workouts. They do it like a strength, and then they do a metcon. Right. Every day, you know, right. whatever the, or whatever this their program is. But I noticed that like all those. That's what I was noticing. Is all they just go fucking hard. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm wondering if you're not looking at it as a sport aspect and looking at it for effectiveness. Like, what would be the modality during doing the workouts? You want to go first, Scott? Go ahead. Um. <laughs> I'd say, like, I, I think I'm answering, answering the question, um, <clears throat> is knowing your body uh, well enough to know that, like, you can push to a certain point um, and without having to stop every, every like, minute to put your hands on your knees and sit there and, and pant and pant and pant and pant and pant. And it's, it's knowing your body and knowing, knowing your, your, uh, your physical limit, like, at any given time. Um, it's also, also knowing like your, your, um, your lactic threshold uh, of like how hard you can push before you're, I mean, like how, how many, how many squats you can do at 135 without your legs completely like dying out and then just wanting to just com- completely quit. It's like knowing how to, uh, so to speak, uh, toe that, toe the line. Right. Um, it, it it a lot of it is really is i mean it's, it's it's always adjusting too and that's the other thing with with like doing doing a workout and knowing how to like knowing um knowing your limits is is like it's it's going to just bump up every single time you you, you do that and, right. and and you're going to be able to like learn a lot more about yourself through the course of 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 doing all these workouts and and knowing like Knowing when you're going to gas out, knowing when you're not want to not going to mm-hmm. gas out. Um, I don't know if that that answers yeah. it at all. I'll add on some stuff. So I know that like, I mean, the hit training's been around forever, right? And I think everyone's seen the benefits of hit, particularly regarding that like in workout recovery, right? I think that's usually one of the first things that people see when they start CrossFit is that they notice that doing our kind of short and you know managing their intensity, 
Right. You know, I think I think that that's one of the biggest problems we have with new folks is they don't know what intensity is. Mm-hmm. Right. So they think they do, but it takes it takes people a couple of months if they've not been a real athlete before to hit that level to where they're like, wow, like I'm actually, you know, I'm actually going for it. Right. And then I think once you start managing hitting that level of intensity, your body, amazing as it is, starts to adapt and give you better in-workout recovery. Right. I think it's like probably one of the first things people see is they're like, wow, in the middle of the workout, like, I took like three breaths and I could, I could go again. Right. And they, you know, on the first couple times they work out, they, no, they hit to, they hit their red line and they're done. Right. Right. And then I, one of the other things I think that has really changed, um, you know, the hit training for a long time was, was mainly just cardio. Right. You know, it'd be, it'd be, you never interval sprints, what have you. It might be weight, but it might be like dumbbells and lightweight. Right. And I think this. I think one thing that CrossFit has really particularly done is you know reintroduce Olympic lifting. Right. And that need to like generate power. Right. And I and the power of the hip and the right. power yeah, getting that explosive. Yeah. So yeah. I think that that's been a major change that we're going to start to see expressed in a lot of other sports, including jujitsu. I mean, your right. ability to like actually generate power from your hip, even when you're on the floor. Right. I imagine is something that's kind of been a gap or missing and all of a sudden you'd rediscover it you know in another in another way and come back in and like wow i have this new tool in my toolkit yeah i would say for a long time that i think that's what kind of separated the the winners from the losers at the high level competition was you know who was the more explosive and but could maintain that explosiveness through the entire match like a lot of so like a lot of people don't know like and this is kind of um why I asked this too is like so like an adult black belt male match is ten minutes long with no break so you, you're going at it for ten minutes so it's that constant like expending energy recovering expending energy right. recovering um, and that's where like I find like using CrossFit as strength and conditioning for other activities is um, and I, I mean I guess you could talk about this. In, no matter what your strength and conditioning modality was um, or is, uh, kind of how to get the maximum benefits out of it during the workout. Like, I, I, that's right. something I'm struggling with right now is like, should I, should I be pacing this? Like, should I not be going as heavy and doing more reps? Should I be trying to go as heavy as possible and settle for less reps? You know, like, that's like one of the, like, so we do that the different levels. Right. And we do you know, that, that right. the performance, fitness and lifestyle or however it goes, lifestyle yep. and fitness. And I, you know, that the middle one, I know I could do all the workouts really, really hard at and, you know, and get pretty far. And if I was keeping score, have a really good score. And then the performance one, I can do the weight, but my score or my pacing is going to suffer yeah. a little bit. What is the right? And like, I, I try to mix and match and depend on how I feel, but like, what, what is the right? I, I, th- I think I, your answer, you just answered yeah, yourself. Yeah, you did. It's the constantly <laughs> varied portion, right? right? Yeah. So if you went in and you just always did that fitness level, so the, you know, your listeners, we separate, you know, performance, heavyweights, fitness, lighter weights, but you're going to find you do that fitness one, it's going to hurt a lot more. I don't know if you've had a chance to just go in and try one at the fitness level. You're right. throwing around like 50 pounds, but you're doing a lot, and you, there's no stopping. You right. have no point to stare at that barbell and say, I can't pick it up. Right. And so, But then on the flip side, you go up to the heavier weights. Yeah, you're going to have fewer reps, but it's a different stress you're putting on your body. Right. 
So I think I think you, you answered your own question with yeah, just keep it varied, right? And yeah. what's going to be the best? Now that's the idea is like we're aiming overall for general physical preparedness, right? Right. I think at some point in time we should, you know you and the other coaches and whatnot could get together because you're now a single sport athlete, right? Right, as a jujitsu practitioner, and so like there's got to be stuff that you know a separate accessory plan or something like that right. comes in for you for right. like. Hey, you should be doing heavy farmer walks every week. Right. You know, a couple right. times just right. so that right. so that when you grab onto somebody, right. there is no way they're getting your hand off. Right. Well, that's know? one thing that like I've kind of taken upon myself is like I don't and everyone's gonna I know I'm gonna get fucking shit for this, but like I don't hook grip anymore because I wanna fatigue my grip. Right. You know what I mean? Like everyone's like, you know, you're like and, and the hook grip is awesome. Like I'm not like if you're doing weightlifting, use the hook grip. But me personally, I don't use it anymore because I'm like, when am I ever gonna grab anybody like this? You know what right. I mean? Like so I, I've kinda of taken upon myself to not hook grip anymore just because it's more practical. But you have a reason. Right. Right. Yeah. I right. mean we, we hook grip so that you don't you don't lose hip power by your hand opening up when you pull. Right. That's the whole reason for the hook grip is it locks you in so every bit of hip power goes into the barbell right but if if you're actually working on it to make sure your grip is there like right. that makes a lot more sense for you right. yeah if you're if you're like doing if you're doing a workout where um it was it was lighter cleans or lighter snatches or something like that like yeah i mean there's you wouldn't want to you wouldn't you wouldn't have to use your hook grip but if you're trying to go for like a pr clean or right. a snatch you're gonna want right, you're right, gonna right. want to work yeah right i hook yeah. grip everything I walk through the airport. I got a hook grip on my bag. (laughs) I'm like, again, efficiency, man. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'll hook grip my spoon eating cereal in the morning. Like, (laughs) oh, so a hook, uh, a hook grip is, um, so say if you're grabbing onto a PVC pipe, uh, like a half inch PVC pipe, you would put your thumb around the pipe and then your forefinger around your thumb. So basically, what you're doing is you're getting that you're getting that uh, cylindrical object deep into the the deep into your palm between your forefinger and thumb, right. and wrapping around. And basically, what you're doing is you're going to give it a little tug, and that's going to lock your thumb in and your finger on top of your thumb. So you're I mean, you really have you don't have to expel a lot of energy to hold on to something in a hook yeah. grip. Right. Um, yeah, and you'll notice that, like, when you go and grab something, a lot of times it's your pinky and your ring finger that are doing most of the grabbing. Right. And so your ability to engage the the index finger and the middle finger around that thumb, like that, that changes everything really dramatically. Yeah, I have a bad habit sometimes. Every once in a while, I'll forget when I'm shooting. I'll just, I'll, my finger will start working its way around the trigger. <laughs> yeah, you got no, no, no. I don't want to hook You got like three digits in there. I think it's funny too. Like, oh, and. I'm, and you bring up the, the pinky and the ring and the index finger is like so a lot of times like if so we do it like a, we call it a hook grip too in jiu-jitsu but it's when you grab someone's sleeve and you or whatever you're grabbing you turn it over so right. it makes a little bit of a lip and then you stick your fingers in there and you don't use your thumb anymore because now you're not engaging your forearm and your grip won't burn out as fast but the other grip we do is called a pistol grip so it's literally just these grips here, and you're holding oh, yeah. it like just you would hold your, a pistol. Just your whatever. pinky and, right. uh, yeah. So it's funny, the different modalities of just even gripping things. Right. Like, and what's effective for each activity, you know what I mean? Like, And, I mean, we had a we had a – there's, like, a couple of classic combinations in the CrossFit world. So, like, the idea of, like, you know, kettlebell swings with running and pull-ups or something like that, or kettlebell swings with pull-ups and – 
this idea that your your deadlifts with pull ups or your your grip's going to fatigue. Right. And so all of a sudden, like you have more capacity, but you can't hold on to the bar anymore. Right. I am one of the people that have kicked myself off the bar. Right. Doing a pull up. Right. That was terrible. Right. Um, you have a lot of time to think on the way down before you hit the ground. <laughs> That's all I gotta say. <laughs> like this was a terrible idea. Um, but I experiment a lot with, you know, if I do kettlebell swings, I'll only I'll only grab with my index finger and right. middle finger. And then when I do the pull-ups, I'll use the other two fingers and kind of keep switching back and forth and kind right. of not try and fatigue everything at once. Right. I've so, actually never tried that before. Again, go okay. to the go to the dude with the gray beard to find the little, <laughs> you know, the only crap that keeps me going. Yeah, I try. I really try to experiment when I'm there, and obviously safety is number one, you know, and and what's going on. But doing that, not using my thumb grip on everything, just to see if it is a still effective. Not burning out my forearms and my grip. You need to right. train with an axle bar more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Got to get we, you the axle bar. We had, bar. we had, uh, we had a guy, Tyler. Tyler. Ah. He, the dude is awesome. He was a, um, he was a rock climber, and he, every single workout, if everybody else, if it was a bar workout, I mean, unless it was like deadlifts or something like that, he would always like cleans, snatches, whatever. He would always go for the axle bar. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. yeah. And he would Every always do time. all his pull-ups on the big fat bar right. or over into the fingerboard. He had a fingerboard up in the back right. on the loft. And so... Oh, we still do have it. It's still up there? Yeah, it's still up there. It's buried. <laughs> yeah. You can't you get it back now, Tyler, if you're listening. <laughs> yeah. Tyler, you got to clean out the loft to uh, get the fingerboard. Um, but yeah, it's, it, you know, his grip strength was, was amazing. Right. But again, him being... That was... He used CrossFit to train for rock climbing right so his endurance was great but he really focused on making sure he had some you know mobility was huge for rock climbing and right. then also right. grip strength right yeah it makes sense it's um it's interesting um to me just the the crossover as to like what activity or like what exercise like that's one thing i'd like i want to get into a little more and like talk to people is like what activity coincides with what movement right. to get it there the most effectiveness you know what i mean like yeah like the one thing we talked about is um you know the effectiveness i think a lot of people and I, I don't see a lot of people doing it unless they're like training just weightlifting or, or olympic weightlifting but i think one thing that could be taken advantage of more i think is the uh snatch high pull a lot a lot of people for some reason they neglect it on their in their regular right training or whatever and i think you know just creating explosiveness without having to worry about putting that bar overhead you know what I mean? and still getting the, the benefits the explosiveness out of it is huge you know what i mean yeah and that's one thing like i try to do them like during open gym or whatever if i have some free time is you know heavy snatch high pulls because then you don't have to worry about it going over your head you don't have to worry about shoulder stability but you're still getting all that explosiveness you know right what I mean? it's one one thing that i'm going to be doing a lot more of is hip bridges yeah yeah after doing jujitsu the the few times i've i've done <clears throat> Hip bridge. Yeah. I mean, like single leg, single leg hip bridge, like yeah. hip bridge with the weight on it, yeah, every, throw a all that stuff. plates on there. Yeah. Right. Although get you don't want to be that Derek work. to come sit on your lap, do some hip bridges. Yeah. See, that's the thing. That's not time. as awkward as the guy. Like, have you seen <laughs> the videos of the dude with a kettlebell on his, on his, on his lap? Yeah. Like doing hip bridges? Yeah. That's just weird. Okay. <laughs> like, grab, grab a plate instead of a kettlebell. Because for some reason, holding on to a kettlebell yeah. in that manner is just... It's, it's That's when you look across the gym and give a little <laughs> wink and a kiss. <laughs> and lick your lips a little. Yeah. <laughs> Make awkward yeah, eye man, contact. That's right. that's right. Awkward humor is the best humor. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so one thing I, I, I have a little note here that I wanted to comment on um, going back a little bit is like that um, your your threshold and, and, and your capacity for work, it's going to increase far greater than you realize in such a short amount of time. Yeah. Because even yeah. watching people through our on-ramps and go and, and <coughs> we, uh, our, our on-ramps are, are like a... I don't know, fitness sandwich. So the first first time you uh, you come in and you do an on-ramp, you have a test at the end of, of the on-ramp. So you have a, a course of what you have to do. And then you go through the entire on-ramp. I think it's eight sessions. So you can do... Um, is it eight sessions or is it 12? It's eight or 12. I can't, I can't recall either. Yeah, I'm terrible with numbers. Yeah. Um, so basically you go through this this course of armory which is basically going to break down all the movements and it's it's almost one-on-one training a lot of times it is one-on-one on training um unless you come in with a couple people that you know so it's a little bit more comfortable and then at the end you retest what you did in the beginning and people always crush it right every single time every single as as in can't finish it on the first one right like can't even finish the workout or have to do it so severely modified, it's, you, you know, they're, they're doing it. But then for them to come back, even after that 8, 12 weeks, and they just destroy it. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, that again, like, it's fascinating for us as coaches is how quickly the human body adapts. Right. That's what's staggering to me is, like, you have somebody that's been sedentary for 10 years and not taking care of themselves, and they go for, you know, 12 sessions over three, right. four weeks. And their body is already making some hugely substantial changes. Right. Yeah. I mean, one one of my favorite on ramps was uh, somebody I went to uh, grade school and high school with, <laughs> uh, Daryl and 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 Becky. Like, they they were like when they came oh, they're in. They're awesome. They're so awesome. They're really two of my are. favorite people. Yeah. Uh, by the way, hi guys. Yeah. <laughs> Love you. Hey Daryl. Hey Bex. Um, they came in and like the 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 first the first workout was like it was it was rough on them. Yeah. I mean it was really really rough. And then by the time they got to the, to the to the final on ramp, like they were there. I mean they were laughing and smiling. And Daryl was high five and Becky. They're both yeah. on the floor rolling around. Right. But both of them increased their time. Huge. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Huge. Well, it didn't increase on decrease their time. That right. They did the workout and increase their work. I mean, yeah. I'm in the awkward position where where Becky is becoming a better athlete than I am. Right. Now. <laughs> right. Just so you know. <laughs> right. Well, like fucking Christ, man. That what uh, I think it was. Maybe it was sixteen five. Is it was that barber burpees and thrusters? Oh, I can't remember. It's yeah. all it's oh, all yeah. a blur. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's yeah. So, how do you guys not remember that? I mean, because they all going, sucked. They I'm were still all going terrible. to therapy for that one. <laughs> so before, I'm still going to therapy from fourteen five. So before before the workout, I'm fucking around and I'm like, ask my wife if she wants to race, and she's like, no, no, I don't want to race. She fucking crushed me on that workout. She destroyed yeah. me on that workout. It's the same thing. I'm like, God damn it! Like I'm supposed to be like this serious athlete, fucking doing jujitsu all the time, and she fucking she one crushed your, me. Your your wife, I mean, she crushed me. You got to remember too that like, like I remember some of her first sessions and some of the remember that you weren't there. Like this was even before you joined, right? Yeah, like yeah. we went through a lot of trials and tribulations with like mobility with her and everything. Now, right? She has come so far. Right. She's like one of the people I'm most proud of because, and she's quiet. So she's over there in the corner in her own little space just destroying but here's these workouts. The thing. She, she's quiet on the outside and super loud on the inside. Like I can see when she's working out like the like the 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 conversation she's having with herself in her head about it and then like transferring that to 
not verbalizing it, but putting it into action. Like yeah. that's the one thing I like. I can tell. I'm like, I'm not even going to talk yeah, to you right that, now. That, <laughs> yeah, there's certain. Like, we know that is. I mean, as coaches, you walk right. around. There's certain people you encourage. There's certain people you yell out. There's some people you just leave the hell alone. Right. Yeah. Right. She's she's she can be yelled at a little bit. Right. And but for the most part, right. yeah. I hope she's not offended. We're like we're leaving you alone because I'm afraid that you're going to hurt me if I come over. <laughs> well, like, my favorite, like one of my favorite stories of my wife is that she. They were like, I forget. It was like a. Uh, one rep max back squat day and whatever and she like they ran like she was doing something ended up running out of time and matt comes over and was like did you pr your back squat and she's like no i ran out of time she's like all right hold on fucking don't look she, so she goes around the corner and matt just loads the bar up and she's like all right squat it and she squats it and gets like a 40 pound pr squats like 305 pounds yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So really all you need to do is stop piling weight on and right. not worry about the number and just fucking squat. Yeah, you know you're I mean? spending way too much time counting. Right. Just no right. more counting. Right. Just put, keep putting weight on. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. It's it's that's one of the like CrossFit, you can say what you want about it, you know what I mean? But the just the change I've seen in my wife has made me the biggest fan. Cause she's like and like I had, I didn't meet my wife in high school and it was like so it was like I've, I mean she had been graduated a long time, but she was an athlete in high school. But I wasn't really quite sure what kind of athlete she was in high school. But now I'm like, you're so intense. Like she's, you know, she's got that fire, and she's a gamer too. Like, yeah. re- working out regular, like on a regular day, like basis, like you know, people beat her in the workout, and you know, she. Doesn't, but then like on game day, so if she's like doing competition or like when it really matters and the stakes are high, she's like. Yeah, it's on on it's, it's on. on like Donkey Kong. I, right? I, yeah. I can see her giving plenty of black eyes in whatever sport she was doing and right. after the game like i'm so sorry like are you okay right. yeah. are you okay that's it during the game no all all gloves are off right what are you doing move on buddy why just the old guy talking just say it all right because <laughs> i love you Derek. what are you talking about so um Amidst being a CrossFit coach, yes, and a teacher, you also yes. uh, coach UNA's rugby team. I do. I fill in where I where I can there. That's been. Uh, I played rugby through college. I was an absolutely terrible rugby player, <laughs> uh, but just absolutely fell in love with the game. Uh, I was able to play for a couple years through college. It's always hard to play uh, in that kind of senior year projects and whatnot. So I think I played sophomore and junior year. I absolutely loved it. Um, I played a little bit after after college in a couple of different men's teams. Um, I, I'm not a stellar athlete. I think that's that's one of my issues, and I I uh, I dealt with uh, with a lot of kind of weird personal sickness for a lot of years. I was an undiagnosed celiac for like ages, so um, my ability to recover was pretty terrible. Right. And playing rugby is a sport where you get the shit kicked out of you. Uh, your ability to recover is pretty much all you got. Right. So um, so I love the game. I got. Uh, injured quite a quite a few times i mean i've had any number of concussions and broken ribs and uh sounds like my kind of sport yeah just you know (laughs) destroyed my ankles and feet and and i used to come home and just i don't know what it was or how i played or whatnot but i always got my feet stomped on um like terribly so i remember always just coming home and um my wife was you know as supportive as she can be of a of a rugby player um, like, okay, I'll get you the bucket of ice water. You can stick your feet in there. Just don't bitch. Cause it's so cold. You know, <laughs> I don't want to hear that. Like, um, 
so yeah, I, I absolutely love the game. And then I had a chance, um, my, my nephew, uh, started playing over at UNH. So it was, had this really amazing opportunity to go and, and, and get into coaching. And so, I mean, the, the thing that I loved about the game was it was such a beautiful game. I mean, it's, it, I'm really, I'm really hopeful that it continues to kind of grow and take off because there's, there's a lot of beauty in the flow of the game. Right. Like when you actually get a good set of plays going and it flows, I, I mean, it's, it's real one, it's really exciting. Um, but, it, but there's, there's some elegance to it. You know, everyone sees it as a really vicious game, but like when it's played well, like there's not a whole lot of contact, you right. know what I mean? Or there's contact and it's managed, like you're managing the contact and, right. you know, and you're putting the ball back into play and, um, and it really is. It really is kind of a. It's a. It's a beautiful game. So approaching that now as a coach, as opposed to a player, that that was a really fun experience for me to be able to go and get a whole bunch of different, you know, books on coaching theory and, and game theory of, of of playing rugby and reading some of the old, you know, these guys would just have like stream of consciousness journals. It was right. like some of these books. You're like, how did this ever get to print? But it was basically, you know, an old rugger just writing down like, here I. You know, I started at this position, and this is what I did. I had these plays, and this is how it worked. And it was like, so it was really interesting for me just to kind of dive into something that was completely, you know, I hadn't touched it in a while, and it was really neat to just dive back in and, and be able to help them out. Plus, I was able to 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 really go in and uh, kind of came on originally too because in watching some of the games, I would go and watch their conditioning was was pretty was pretty off. Right. So to be able to go and, and take some of my CrossFit world and put that into their conditioning, um, and again, make it more sports specific. So rugby is basically a game where like you get knocked on the ground and you have to get back up and sprint. Right. And then you get knocked on the ground and you get back up and sprint. I mean, like, and then, but there are some power positions there too. So it was kind of fun to be able to, to design some workouts for them to really help their in-game recovery. Right. I think that that's something like, yeah, you can go on a 10 mile run. That's great. But if I can, if I can, build some workouts for you kind of more in that hit training type stuff to where, you know, you're going to have a burst, but in that 30 seconds where you're kind of like laying on the ground, waiting for the people to get off you, if you get some recovery there and you're back at it, you know, you're, you're better off. So that was, that was, yeah. <laughs> for a longer recovery, be at the bottom of the pile. Yeah. The bottom <laughs> of the pile. There's, there's some good recovery time to be had at the bottom of the pile. As long as you're not getting stomped. I, I got to say, when I played, it was a bit more vicious than it is now. Um, you, know, you know, I think in general, they, they, they've been keeping a, a closer eye on club sports than they did back in, you know, mid-90s. Right. Um, it, was, it was pretty vicious, I remember, when I played. And I don't think that's just, you know, old guy memory looking back. I, I remember seeing some pretty, pretty gnarly things. Um, and I remember our coach was a heart surgeon, too, and so... He's an old British heart surgeon. So, <laughs> I, as I recall, there there wasn't anything that could happen to you on the field that made him sorry for you. Right? You know, he's right. like, I deal with sick people all the time. Get, you're not going to die, and he just, you know, right. and you're talking. These are forty minute halves, no right. subs. So, you know, you're going for forty minutes. You know, an American football game, you got about eleven minutes of action right. in a four hour game. Right. You know, rugby, you got two forty minute halves, and you are going the right. whole time. Right. I. I don't know. I mean, I'm a fan of rugby from, you know, kind of a, a very outside perspective. You know, like I don't know all the rules. I can, can kind of have put a little bit of the rules together just watching it, and I've never actually been, you know, taught the rules or whatever. But it's one of those um, games where, A, the, 
the athleticism that it takes to be good at it, I think is for, and I mean, I like it's, it's almost like soccer. You know what I mean? Like here, right. like the athleticism it takes to be good at soccer is also off the charts. And I don't understand why. I mean, if the American culture, or whatever just hasn't. And rugby is weird to me too, but that it hasn't taken off in, yeah. in the United States for whatever reason, as much as, I mean, it's way more exciting than football. I always wonder, is it just the fact that football provides an opportunity for you to get another beer and hit the head? Right. I swear to God, like, I'm just wondering if, like, you know, there's, I grew up in a, I grew up in a, baseball, like, I, I love baseball, like, going to a Sox game is, like, if you were like, you could do this or go to a Sox game, I'm going to choose go to a Sox game almost any time, because it's just an experience, Fenway is awesome, you know, whatever, but. Let's be honest. There's not a whole lot of action going on. It's fucking boring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, I love gi jiu-jitsu. Like, you, like I, I love training in the gi or whatever. Gi jiu-jitsu, unless you know all the little deep, the invisible jiu-jitsu, it's fucking boring. Right. You know what I mean? Rugby is not fucking boring. Right. You know what I mean? You're- well, and I just wonder, like, so I grew up in a, in a huge football household. Right. You know, and I still, you know, I played football, you know, all that sort of stuff, and uh, I... I still love the game of football, and but football is. It's. I'm not going to say it's predictable, but if it's third and long, you're you know you're going to pass, right. right? You're not going to pick pick a quick punt or you know right. run an inside crash or something like. Right. You, you know what I mean? Like you're going to. So, but I mean, I grew up in a very very football household, and I know all the rules like the back of my hand. Like you know when the flag comes out, up. Oh, you know it's holding. It's, yeah. from, it's from the back judge. Well, it's also you know very I mean? predict- predictable. What happened in the play? What the penalty would be? Exactly. You know I mean, it's not like you're like, where the fuck did that penalty come from? You're like, oh, of course that happened. And, and rugby is one of the few games that I've seen a ref blow the whistle, and every single player on the field and everybody in the stands has no idea what the penalty was. Right. And then you also play with advantage. So that penalty, when he finally blows the whistle, you may have been playing an advantage for thirty seconds. Right. And so you may not really understand what the penalty was that happened a long time ago other than the ref just stops the play, grabs the ball, runs over, stands there, marks it, and points to whose penalty it is. Right. And the game gets going again. Everyone's just like, what the hell just happened? We're right. like, I, I don't know. I was a, uh, <laughs> I mean, it kind of goes along with that too, is I was a, uh, a pretty serious lacrosse player in junior high, high school, and I actually got recruited to play in college. And uh, same thing, you like there's like there's a lot of play on penalties. Mm-hmm. So like a penalty happens, and they yell, they throw the flag, and they yell play, play on. on. Yeah. And you might play on for three minutes, right? And then when the action stops, they're like, all right, yeah, fucking you go in the penalty box, and you're right? Like, well, that happened so long ago, you know what I mean? Like, so it's, it's interesting, you know, almost you're almost being in the American culture, uh, like. Uh, like conditioned pen, pen, somehow. Or, or like penalized for action. It's, yes. It's weird. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah. It's a great game. It really is. I encourage. And and, and what's fun is like, uh, you know, I'm even hoping this when, you know, our gym is, is moving, which is cool and gives us some outside space. You go out and just play some touch rugby. And that's just amazing. Just again, the flow. What I've, what I've loved is like being able to go out there and run with the guys a bit and Again, like that idea of just running on a field on a sunny day and throwing a ball around. I mean, like, it doesn't get any better than that in in my mind. You know, so much time we spend in the in the basement of a mill building throwing around weights. I absolutely love that. But to be outside on a sunny day throwing a ball around, I mean, that like that goes back to like my entire childhood, my entire 
high school, college, you know, yeah, that, no, that uh, really brings back a lot of just good. Me- so that as far as like, you know, being able to, to go and, 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 and hang and do a little coaching over there has been just so good for my soul. You know right. what I mean? Just to be outside and throwing a ball around. Even going onto a field, like conditioning work I did last summer, um, going onto a field and running cones. Oh, Something yeah. about running running on a big grassy field is right. it's awesome. Well, I mean, and it's funny. Like we've talked about this a little bit. I fucking hate running. Like yeah. any anytime there's a workout that is programmed with some running, I'm like shit. Yeah, shit. But if it was like instead of running on the sidewalk, you can go run through a field. <laughs> I'm like. All right, that makes things a little better, right? Right. Now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah, I'm it's the uh we've had some so it's funny that so we have a ton of rugby players that do CrossFit and then it seems like a lot of those rugby players were also the ones that came and did jujitsu. Right. You know what I mean? And I the ones that keep asking me about jujitsu are those rugby players. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I've I've talked to Dave a little bit about yep. it. Like the, the it's like because rugby is kind of like you get this weird combination of violence and finesse, just yes. like you do in jujitsu. You know what I mean? I think that's one of the things that's piqued my interest. And then the other thing is I've seen a lot of documentaries where like a lot of the Australian teams and the New Zealand teams are actually training jujitsu to yeah. benefit their rugby. Which we had we've really, actually yeah. had a couple. Of, it's <laughs> that's pretty, interesting. Yeah. It's pretty wild at different times we've had. Um, there's some positions where there's a lot of kind of body control contact that happens. Right. And, um, and even in tackling, like good tackling form requires that you take control of someone else's body. Right. So, I mean, like this idea of that you just run up and tackle somebody, yeah, it kind of works that way. But it works a lot better if you understand body mechanics and you understand where their energy is and how you're going you know, to use that. And so we've had a couple of guys that have been wrestlers right. that, that have, you know, um, that have been on the team. And just to watch them and the way they move and the way they tackle is so different from the guys that came either with a football background or soccer or lacrosse. Right. And so I'm not surprised that they're gravitating towards that. It's that, that idea of gentlemanly violence right. uh, you know, is definitely is a that some, definitely rugby thing. Is that something like uh, with a football background, you're going to just put, drop, you're going to drop your shoulder and try to wrap around the waist, whereas like maybe the wrestler would would drop his shoulder and then go for a leg and and sweep a leg out. Yeah, I mean, like remember football for you know they're starting to change their 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 tune now, but for many years it was put your face mask on the numbers. Right, right. That's yeah. that was that was football tackling. So, uh, you know, I've heard even the UNH football team right now is working with. Um, a professor that I believe is a former rugby player that is working on tackling and they're, they're doing some tackling drills and whatnot without helmets so they can learn where to not put their head. So to kind of avoid concussion, well, so better tackling like, form. If you watch like, that's the one thing that astounds me uh, about uh, watching football nowadays. I mean, so I guess it's changing a little bit, but no one in NFL wraps up anymore. Right. It's like, I'm going to jump yes. and turn my head and almost like hit you with my back, you know, yeah. what I mean? in midair and try to like either knock you out of bounds or just knock you on the ground or whatever. And so like, that and that's a penalty in rugby. Right. So you have to hit and wrap. So right. there's you can't just throw body block. That's right. a penalty. So, you know, this idea of like having people that understand like if a wrestler goes in for, you know, uh, um what is that called? The the shoot. Right. He goes in shot. for for right. a shot. Like, he's going to go in low and wrap and right. take you down, you know? So if that person's coming at you, you just change your angle a bit and you wrap them up 
and they're down. And then there's, it's funny because there's not a whole, yes, you got to get the person down and hold them down, but there's not a whole lot of advantage of just like absolutely drilling somebody really hard. Right. Because you got to get, because that's going to build, that's going to ring your bell a little bit too. Right. And you have special privileges as a tackler. So if you can just get the guy down quickly and efficiency, efficiently, pop up and grab the ball, like you're just off and going. All right. Well, and so, so I don't know any of the rules of rugby, really. I know like the kind of, uh, you know, have to throw the ball behind you, mm-hmm. you know, to actually score the try, you have to put the ball yeah. down. You touch know, it so, down. Right? Get Stuff it touched like down. Right. Yeah. Um, but I don't know really any of the other specifics. But one of the things I noticed that – or. I'm I'm guessing what was happening and what I was like kind of taking in by the, the footage they were showing is that they were trying to use the jujitsu. My bad. <laughs> What'd you do? No. Nope. All right. All right. We'll keep going. Uh, what they were trying to use was body control on the ground to keep the play going. Yeah. So it doesn't seem like it's not like in football where like when a knee touches no. the ground or the ball touches the ground or whatever that the play stops you have opportunity to move so they were using their the technique of moving on the ground and staying active to keep the play going yeah. to to kind of extend the play yeah. you know what i mean and also and then like in the scrum uh kind of using head control and underhooks to get an advantageous position Absolutely. to be you know advantageous in the scrum so yeah. that was like it's interesting Again, the crossover between these things. You know I mean, it really, it actually really piqued my interest in the game of rugby. Yeah. Anyway, you know we'll have I mean? to have More. you come out and uh, yeah. get yourself in a scrum. You feel it. I'd like, I mean, yeah. I'm down, man. I would Absolutely. Like to, like, try it out and, and play around. And, and, you know, and then beyond that, I'd like to, uh, you know, any, you know, information I can, you know, yeah. share to make everyone better. Oh, that would be it, nasty. It's awesome. You know, like, I'd love to do that. I'm all down for sharing knowledge, you know. That'd be awesome. You know, and the one thought, just back to another topic, like the one thought I had about rugby as I was playing kind of in the men's clubs and whatnot is like, that's definitely a sport that if you're not in shape, you get injured. Right. And so that's, you know, that was kind of one of the reasons I wanted to make sure I I, I had a chance to to coach these guys and train these guys and get them up. Um, Because that's kind of what I found found out kind of being a new new college grad, kind of first job, working my ass off. trying to go two nights a week to go play rugby as my only form of fitness right. was, was just a straight line towards injury. Right. You know, there was no way that I could, I could maintain that proficiency. And there's a pretty quick uh, kind of negative reinforcement cycle there about, like, if you don't play, you forget where not to put your head, right. and then you immediately get hit in the head. Right. And then, you know, that's not fun. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Concussions are not fun. <laughs> no. <laughs> if I forget your name, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> if I forget your name, that's not why. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, uh, like your 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 list just keeps on going. It just keeps you know, on going. Like it's like a papyrus roll, like rolling down on the floor. <laughs> um, uh, what else are are, are you uh, are you doing? I know you pol- you teach uh, the police academy. Is I that do. correct? Yep. So uh, uh, about, I don't know, seven, eight years ago, I became a part-time police officer. Um, prior to that, one of my kind of side jobs, consulting jobs, actually even kind of full-time jobs, was doing different types of law enforcement support. So I had done a bunch of the computer crime training and development classes and had the opportunity to go speak at a bunch of different conferences and all that sort of stuff. And um, 
for many years I supported, there was a, uh, like a task force, a national task force of the guys that did the, the child victimization investigation. So I supported them for a bunch of years and then had the opportunity to go, um, go become an officer. And I worked on kind of that, what they call the Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force. So I was a member of that task force for a little bit. Um, and it was really good. I, I mean, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. It was something that, like, I know I'll get back to. Um, I then had the opportunity to go and just move my badge up to work at the police academy. Um, the New Hampshire has one police academy, and everybody kind of just works and goes through that one academy. And I had developed some curriculum for them, and so it was kind of a natural kind of move up to there. So uh, I do some teaching up there. Uh, one of my favorite things is to go up during, you know, when they're doing the munitions training right. and kind of, you know, run at cadets with a knife. Right. Um, <laughs> so there's so there's a whole, you know, a whole, like if I could go back and do it over again, that whole idea of how people operate under stress right. is so fascinating to me. So fascinating to me. And so I, w- so I really relish the opportunity that they've given me that I can go up and help out with Sims and, and that sort of stuff to be able to... Right. Um, you know, to watch somebody have a full-on adrenaline dump for the first time in their life. Right. And, you know, and they think they're going to die. Right. And we're just like, no, you're not going to die. Yes, we know you can't feel your hands. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Yes, you're, you know, tears are streaming down. You're like, no, you're going to be fine. Right. Like, but this is life now. Right. You know, this is, this is a Tuesday right. in, for the career you've chosen. Right. This is not like everyone, you know, that this is never going to happen to you. Right. You know, so, um, but that whole ability of how, you know, is there a better way to train folks? Like, is it just sheer inoculation that gets them better at dealing with those situations? Or is it meditation? Is it, I don't know. I mean, there's, I think that there's, you know, the military obviously spends billions on trying to get people up to being combat effective. But um, it, to me, it's just an absolutely fascinating field because I've seen it all. I mean, I've seen, you know, I've seen Iraq you know, two and three tour Iraq veterans that can't get their gun out of their holster. Right. You know, like, um, when people are in stressful situations, this whole idea of revert back to training and all that, yeah, it makes sense. But at the same time, if you're reverting to training, you may not be thinking. And we want people to be thinking and making conscious decisions, not reactive decisions. And there's a big kind of difference there. And so there's a lot that goes on. Yes, I want your training to be I get the gun out of my holster. I bring it up. I level the sights. I know how to pull the trigger. You shouldn't have to think about that. Right. But you should be thinking, oh, my God, I'm about to run into traffic. Or where are my bullets going? What's behind the person? You know, there's a lot that's on officers right now as to, um, you know, them being under the microscope. And so for them really to be able to think in situations is what's really needed. And, uh, you know, it's... There's been some great videos that have gone around. That was one that just the other day, some officer got uh, the, the guy crazy, with the knife. The crazy guy with the knife, yeah. Boy, that was absolutely, I mean, because I've been that, I run that scenario. You right. know what I mean? Like, I've been the the crazy guy with the knife that comes out of the car and, and go towards the officer and to see how they react and how they handle the situation. And so I thought that guy did an absolutely amazing job. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, to be able to recognize the threat create distance we oftentimes we don't see people creating distance you would not believe how many people just dig their heels in remember we were just talking about this the other day about how many people don't know about the 21 foot rule oh yeah and it's not really a like so we talk about it like we have to be careful it's not a rule right 
are. And it's and it's and it's and it's actually now increasing. Right. Because the, the idea that twenty one foot guidance or whatever yeah. is that like if you have your gun in your holster, right, and I have a knife, I should be able to close that distance and stab you before you get a round off. Right. But now we have double and triple retention holsters. Right. Okay. <laughs> so now it's you're not pulling out of like you know a competition holster or right. you know an, a nice you know Mike's you know, uh, molded plastic, you right. know what I mean? So being able to get that gun up, um, it, it takes, it takes right. a good couple of thousand reps right. to do that smoothly. And I know I just got a new holster yeah. for my uniform. I'm not going on like two. I still wrestle getting that thing out of the brand new leather holster. Right. It grabs it like a, like a vice in there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so that was, that's what the fucking thing, like, I mean, I try to be objective about every situation I come across. Like if I see something, I'm like, try to, you know, break it down, you know, make an educated assumption uh, or a guess about what the situation was, you know, and, and, and try to not be biased one way or the other. But and I, I'm 100% fully in support of law enforcement. I have a ton of cop friends and the, most of the cop friends that I have are stellar human beings, you know, or all of them because they're my friends, you know, whatever. But the thing that drives me nuts about people who are just anti-cop is the fact that they do not have any idea of the amount of stress that the person is under at that very moment. Like, I don't know all the details. I am very, um, right. I'm, I'm very, uh, loosely aware of what actually happened. I didn't really dig into it too much just because it was all over the place. But that whole Michael Brown thing, there's a reason he got shot in the hand, in the arm, in the top of the head. Like It's not like he shot him center mass perfectly or whatever. It's because he was under stress. The guy was reaching in his car, you know, yeah. and it, he didn't know how. I mean, granted, he could, that guy could have been the best cop in the entire world, but that was an amount of stress he was not prepared to deal with, and that's why it went down that situation. Yeah, you know what I mean. And I, I feel like I hate like like The Walking Dead drives me nuts because they're running down the street, <laughs> headshotting zombies, you know, like sprinting with a gun. On, and like yeah. now, people are like, "Why didn't he just shoot him in the foot or right. shoot him?" In, like you don't understand, it doesn't work that way ever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, and you know, you're you listen to some of your other podcasts. This whole idea of like people having some relationship with violence. Right. And that that, in some way, shape, or form, you know, how do you, how do you, that people should have to go through that in some way, whether it's in training or, you know, what have you, to just understand that, like, really, really stressful situations do some really funky things to the body and the mind. Yeah. And I don't think people have a really good appreciation for that. Yeah. I think if somebody got, you know, if you got a hold of somebody in a fight that didn't know that you knew what you knew and and you choked them out, like that's going to be ab- that's going to change their life. It's going to be absolutely terrifying and they're never going to have experienced anything like that before. And I you know and it's and I think a lot of the folks out there never get that kind of like, you know, realization as to like how terrifying really stressful situations can be. And that's I think to I think that's a real eye opener if yeah. you're able to get through one of those situations and and be like wow I I can see the world with, with it's not black and white anymore it's a lot grayer and and I'm able to now 
again, this idea of experience versus wisdom, right? You know what I mean? Right. Like being able to reflect on something and look back at it and, and grow from it as opposed to just, you know, look at it on a YouTube video and put in nasty comments. Right. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like if... <clears throat> uh, it's like one of those things that it's like if you, you, can, you can train on a range, you can train all the time uh, with multiple firearms and just being on the range and, and, and having a head about you like if you're only just shooting paper and that's the only training you're doing, you're training like draw techniques and 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 firing multiple targets, whatever, and that's that, and you think that 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 you're instantly going to become John Wick when when shit goes down, <laughs> yeah. Like, which is a pretty which is a, a very, pretty very gnarly movie, by the way. Right. Yeah. Well, apparently Keanu Reeves became John Wick because yeah. I've seen him. I saw that. That was the that was pretty cool. Ever. That was awesome. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, and then the other interesting thing is that like. We talked about this. Scott and I kind of talked about this off air, and I don't know, just grabbing coffee one night was um, the the amount of variables that you would have to be trained in to get that proficient at something. Like you watch those guys who are like doing all these like mixing their striking, grappling, f- pull their weapon out, fire, whatever. I'm like, you don't understand how many disciplines, disciplines yeah. you have to master before you're that good in actuality you know not dealing with a compliant partner one of my favorite so two of my favorite things to do with people who um are in law enforcement or whatever and come and train kind of jujitsu just to like at a very specific um like for their for their job for law enforcement is one is give them a holster and put a you know a blue gun a, or a blue gun in it whatever and stand in front of them and say all right draw your weapon and then you grab their wrists so they can't draw that weapon anymore. Like, now what do you do? Yeah. Like, the, no one, it's, it's like a shock to the system. Like, even if they were like, are like, I'd throw a punch from here. I'm like, all right, throw a punch. You're already at too close of a distance to have an effective punch. Right. You know what I mean? So that's one thing. The other thing to do is start rolling around on the ground and then introduce a foreign object to it and see, like, people who are actually very good grapplers, how shitty their technique gets because they're so worried about that right. weapon. Where if you were like, Stop worrying about the weapon and worry about subduing me. And then the weapon's not a factor anymore. Well, and we saw that kind of in the early days of MMA, right? Where right. like you get an amazing judo player or someone like that that would get full control of somebody and then just sit there. Right. They didn't know how to strike. Right. Right. So it was this idea of like or, I've not been trained for that. I'm not even aware of what I should be doing. Or someone who is an effective wrestler or um judo player or whatever that would use their judo to get to an advantageous position and then lose the position because then they tried to strike. Right. Like, forget about the things you're not good at and just keep doing the things you're good at and you would have won. Right. You know what I mean? For some reason, you feel the need. That's like, I love, like, taking someone it's, it's well that was probably like the second iteration right the first iteration is they get they get the, the you know they get full control you know or full mount and then they're sitting there people yelling you know next time you're in that position hit them right. and then they do and then like it all right. goes south right but it's, it's my it's like roll around with someone and then throw one of those fake knives on the ground yeah and like they go to reach for it and be like well now your hands are over here and i'm just gonna choke you forget about that knife you know what i mean and you can't stab me if you're unconscious right you know what i mean so like stop worrying about that weapon so much like that's what like I would say that that's what my one gripe about a lot of high level, or not maybe not so high level operators, but operators in general and law enforcement is that all their training is to get back to that weapon, get mm. back to that weapon, get back to that weapon. Well, I mean, I'm very thankful that you have that weapon, and you. Sh- I'm not saying you shouldn't have that weapon, but let's do at least some training where that weapon isn't a factor anymore. Right. You know what I mean? 
and and yeah, and they, I mean, we do quite a bit, and there, you know, there's some DT training they do. There's yeah. a, an amazing guy up. At, it's gotten uh, way better too. Oh yeah, and there's yeah. a there's a. Uh, I'm sure you've crossed paths with him, but Paul Muller up at the I you have. know cat so many many times. Yeah, and you know Paul's one of these guys that he looks 25. Mm-hmm. He's not 25. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, yeah, and and his 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 grappling and 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 he's done a lot too to to make sure that you know that he makes it kind of specific to the law enforcement community. So right. I think he's, I think he's done an awful lot with that. Yeah. It's gotten I, and full disclaimer. I mean, that being said, I would, I would say probably in my jujitsu career, which is going on nine years now in those past nine years, the, uh, and because of a lot of people I know, the, the, the DT at the police Academy has grown leaps and bounds, which yeah. is awesome. It's so awesome to see yeah. that. And you know, when it's my, you know, it's, it's our, I always see it as my job too, is like, you know, your words are your best weapon. Right. That's right. So that's, that's the deal is like distance and, and words. Right. And then, you know, then, then beyond that, then you have a whole nother, you know, crap storm to deal with beyond that. Right. But you know, it's, there's, it's funny too, because I've run into some, some different cops throughout the years that were very proficient um, martial artists and it would be really funny because they would let situations go so much further with <laughs> yeah. trying to de-escalate with words because they knew at any point in time they could instantly de-escalate with right. with their with their uh right. with their violence right yeah and I mean, so and, and i love that i love that because they end up having that confidence then they can just stand there in a room and just keep talking people down keep talking people down instead of coming in and being fearful, and their fear causing an escalation, and things kind of going up from there. One of our uh, one of our former guests, uh, Pete. All right. His his video has been going viral, and right. not and and what's great, I just saw him post the other night. Um, not only is it going viral, this is, uh, did you listen to the Pete's broad, uh, yeah, podcast? Yeah. Yep. So, um, when he was uh, basically detaining somebody, right. um, and putting putting on was a kimura yeah so you got the kimura grip and he yeah. used the grip for the leverage to handcuff the guy yeah so that's even gone viral on anti cop website which is which is awesome and we're like, I, thought, see, I like, posted on as well i'm like you like you have to it's amazing that even anti-cop websites can't say that you're not a great cop at this point they're all like all these anti-cop like this is a really this is a real cop right whatever yeah this yeah like you got to be proud of that yeah like, totally even, like these anti-cop websites shit bad being more like everything. pete right yeah, yeah. On, yeah. On, on on the other side i i have seen a video i i just tried finding it but um i don't even know where to look for it but it was said it it said like share this and this is why police officers carry guns this is why uh, round counts can be very, very high sometimes where it's basically somebody with uh, like an airsoft or a, mm-hmm. or a simunition gun and there's a guy literally running and jumping up into the air with a knife. He's about to go for a stab motion and the the, the, the basically the, the cop that's defending himself has to draw and uh, plugs him a good amount of times. The guy's still in the air. This is in the movies where you get hit by a nine and you yeah. start flipping like fifty feet reverse spinning yeah. in this weird little like Tasmanian devil thing. Like the guy keeps on coming, the knife is still coming down, and you're still trying to plug him. You would not believe how many folks um, that you know they come out of playing paintball, something like that, and they fire the one round, and they're like, "I got gotcha. you." 
It's like it, it doesn't work like that. Like you know, you put a three oh you put a three oh eight through the heart of a deer, that thing's gonna run for twenty seconds. All right. You know what I mean? Like there's there's still a lot of life in people, even if you get a kill shot. Yeah, that's the and, other and thing that's that, like, that's something that that again that we've been conditioned through Hollywood to think that like. Right. You know, every shot's a magic shot, and it and it does not work that way. Right, not, well, it takes, what, takes many nine millimeter to drop some. Yeah, money. I mean, you, it, you're you know you're shooting to, like we live by the rule, you're shooting to stop the threat. Right, right, and so if if you know if you're shooting someone and they're still advancing on you, you you haven't stopped the threat. Yeah, they may be already, they may be dead, they may be coming at you, and they are not going to survive, but they can still kill you while they're a walking dead. Yeah, well, I think one of the one of the first things I learned um, in a course um, was was like how many how many rounds does it take to stop a person? And the answer is as many as it takes. Right. Yeah. There's no there's no magic numbers. I mean, like you can I mean you can do a triple tap, double tap, whatever you want to do, Mozambique. Right. But in the end, it turns into as many as it takes. Right. In in an aggressor situation. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's 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 a it's a very night right now, particularly the climate. It's it's a very tough, thankless job, and um, I'm very 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 fortunate to be in a position where I can help the new recruits be able to like adjust to the life out there. You know what I mean? Even if it's, I am part timer, I spend a small bit of time. You're wondering how I do it? Like I spend a small bit of time at the academy, but I'm right. very proud to be able to help folks be better cops and use more words. Use right. you know stay in that situation longer, de-escalate as much as they can. Right. And, uh, you know, and make a difference. It's funny. Everyone's there. It's like no one wants to be John Rambo up there. Right. You know, everyone is looking to be like, no, I want to I wanna go out and do good things. And it's right. like, of course you do. Right. Let's, let's give you some good tools. Right. Yeah, I mean, like, even, even on that note, like, yeah, it's like there are bad cops out there, but there's also bad doctors, there's yeah. bad lawyers, there's bad jujitsu instructors, right? right. So well, I mean, that, that, bad CrossFit instructors. Right. But you, I mean, like that people just social media <laughs> three, just loves to hyper focus on all the thousand bad stuff. people in this nation. You're gonna get a hundred thousand assholes, no doubt. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right? <laughs> they're, they're sprinkled everywhere. Yeah. But uh, I mean, the I feel I really feel for the law enforcement out there. <laughs> They're sprinkled. <laughs> well, honestly, like like Jimmy's on a Carvel cake. You right. know what I mean? Just right across the top. Right. You know what? Like Cookie Puss. Total. Oh, total side note. I actually watched a Cookie Puss commercial the oh, other day. Oh man, I miss Carvel. I don't know. Do you know what how it, much? Do you remember how much of an acid trip that is? I was like, I, I'm Cookie Puss. <laughs> There was a particular music. I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh my god! We gotta follow. We gotta. This is. You got it. You got it. Oh my! Maybe I do know what it is, and I'm just not. We're gonna. We're gonna be. We're gonna be doing a a Harold and Kumar trip to instead Carvel instead of White Castle here. When I was, I mean. I, I, w- I was recently hanging out with my girlfriend and, and I was I was like, oh man. She's like, okay. what would you do for your next cheat? I was like, Carvel cake. <laughs> I never got a cookie puss. She's like, what the fuck are you talking about? How did you not know who Fudgy the Whale is? Oh my God, Fudgy the Whale. <laughs> there was there was a per- there was a particular cool flavor about. of you know, you get the Carvel Sunday and they'd scoop on that fuck sugary yeah. <laughs> they'd, they'd scoop on that sugary fruit. Yeah, and it had such a distinct flavor. I don't know whether it was like the cheap cherries that were in there that weren't, you know, made of like tire rubber or whatever they were made of. <laughs> like, 
Carvel was it, man. It's local. It's like a Massachusetts thing. Oh, I, I know. I've seen a Carvel. But they've been here since. Yeah, what? Yeah. They've been around for 50 years. Those little crumblies? Yeah. Oh, Those man. Crumblies are the best. You can still get a football. Oh, my, man. Uh, so good. Uh, l- let me. Uh, yeah. You, you got to see. You got to see Cookie Puss. I know what a Carvel ice cream cake is. I just don't know what a fucking cookie puss so is. So a cookie puss was one of the cakes. Oh. That was, you know, looked like some sort of cookie monster That's thingy. what it is. It's like weird-ass yeah. music. Oh, they're, they're screwed up, though. Look, that's what he looked like. Yeah. It's bad. Ice cream cone for the nose. Oh, yep, there's the shamrock one. <laughs> you buy that. Yeah, you'd be oh, yeah. you'd be the you'd be the you'd be the bomb. Give somebody the Carvel cake for. For me, that was always like the following, like uh, you know, after basketball game or something right. like that. You'd hit the Carvel. Yeah. Yeah. Just like so so eighty service. So what you're saying is that someone did this as a practical joke and it just caught on. It, it probably. No, no. <laughs> at, the, at the Carvel factory, it was like... Yeah, I mean, <laughs> what was great, too, was the guy's voice. Like, the car, uh, yeah, like Because, I mean, it, it was like the epitome of I've smoked 10 packs of Marlboro a day. Right. Like, Tom, was it like... Tom Waits style? Yeah. Was it Tom Carvel? Or, I mean, was that... I think it was. Yeah. We'll see if we can find his voice, because it is like... I think I sound gravelly with with a with a chest cold, but like he <laughs> was like that, that whiskey cure. Oh man, <laughs> it was one of those ones you Cigar could just hear and, and just start, right. just start. You know, mouth starts watering for Carvel. Right, uh, but I I would I would give. I'm a, I'm on a no sugar oh, diet yeah. for two Fuck months. That noise. Fuck yeah, that noise. <laughs> I gotta tell like, you, even to the point like I didn't even put put like honey in in, in my tea today, and like, I've given up I a lot of things in my days. Sugar. I mean, I, I told you guys, I you know, went through that whole phase of kind of un- undiagnosed. So, I mean, there's different times I gave up milk and I gave up alcohol and I gave right. up this and I gave up that. There's times I've tried to give up sugar. It is the hardest thing I've ever... I mean, because if what happens is... Well, that and it's fucking in everything. It's in everything. Yeah. But God forbid all of a sudden you eat one cracker. Somehow you ingest 10 grams of sugar in one sitting. You start craving that like hardcore. It's like crack. I, I have not I done mean, crack, but <laughs> I, I can imagine that, like... Neither have I, but, but I can assume. Um, but it, it, like, uh, like that, this is probably why Greg Glassman is, and, and CrossFit yeah. HQ is on such a big, like, anti-sugar kick right now. Right. Because, I mean, that stuff is so addictive. So, <laughs> like, I mean, like, you start... You, you stop eating sugar... And you go into convenience store for like I'm just gonna get a bottle of water. I'm gonna get a, I'm gonna put my horse blinders on. Yeah. I'm gonna get a bottle. Of like, God damn, that hundred grand looks good. I've never had one in my life, but I know oh. I want that. I want it. Bad. They are really good. <laughs> I'm so I'm I'm so bad. Like I have the worst sweet tooth ever, and it seems to be getting worse as I get older. Yeah. It's like I can go. I, I'll have everything that I need to make a perfectly healthy meal up at the register, and that'll be like. A cookie or a whoopie pie yeah. at that register, and I'm like, I'll take one of them. Yeah, <laughs> like without even thinking about it. And those, to, like, those Buckeyes are my downfall. Right. And I get into the like, truck, and I'm like, Why did I fucking buy this? Fuck yeah. it, gotta eat it now. Yeah, <laughs> ah, man. I, and then you instantly regret it too. Right. It's well, like because does it does, then it doesn't taste as good as you remember. 
All right, we got. Is this Tom's voice? Yeah, it is. <laughs> so there we go. Let's see if it'll work. All right, he's pulling it up to the uh, mic here. Fudgy the whale is back. That's a whale of a cake for a whale of a dad. That that dude's hurt. He's seen some hard nights. He's seen some hard times. (laughs) I like how he's like, you can add an ocean to feed 20 people. Yeah. Cake, right. now the yeah. But how good would ice cream an ice cream cake would be amazing right now? It would be so good. I think I wouldn't even feel bad about it because no. I'm not anti sugar. No. <laughs> I want to see well, you I, on no sugar and no coffee. Fuck you. <laughs> you think I'm you, yeah. Yeah. You, you think I'm you think I'm I'm, 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 I'm fucking abrasive now. Yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> that, You'd be on a headline. You'd be like, local man. Right. <laughs> world, world, world comes to end. <laughs> local man goes on four state killing spree. Yeah. No, it's like, so, so Elliot, God, like, God bless him. I've like been like consulting with him about everything fitness wise. And we're talking about diet. I'm like, he's like, that's probably like, I train like a professional athlete, you know, like between my strength and conditioning now has kind of gotten really long point. You know, I'm, I'm training jujitsu a lot, whatever. Like the one thing I don't do at a pro level is probably my diet. And it's just, I mean, we, Matt just posted that thing. It's like the like one of the hardest things to do. I mean, I probably do my mobility more at a pro level than I do my diet, which is like, in all honesty, it's, it's, there's no real excuse for it because my wife does her diet at a pro level, you know, 99.9% of the time. Um, so I could just hop on that. But for whatever reason, I don't remember. He's like, so number one thing you need to do is drink less coffee. And I'm like, I can't do that. Yeah. There's no fucking way. So you're like, okay, what's next? No, so but then he's like, what's number two? Or he's, like, he's like, all right, so you don't have to drink less coffee. You just can't drink any coffee after one o'clock. Yeah, and I'm, like, I'm like, all right, I think I can do that. That lasted about a week. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> nope, not happening. So now I'm like. You're like, what's number three on the list? Right. He's like, no sugar. Okay, so what's number four? Right, exactly. Well, one, one, one thing that I noticed that like I've tried to I tried to go down the like limiting my coffee intake uh, as well. And and like I get to that afternoon hours and I'm like, you know, I got to I got to teach tonight at 730 and I got to be on the ball until 830, 845. Like my brain needs to be on the entire time. I also have to push myself through a workout between, like, between getting out of work and that seven thirty class. Right. Like, there's no way in hell I'm doing this without some kind of caffeine in my body. Right. Um, so the one thing I have done is my coffee intake has gone down, but it's because I stretch my tolerance to the absolute breaking point. So I'll have my coffee in the morning, and like, I get the biggest coffee I possibly can get. Or I'll make the biggest pot of coffee I possibly can get, and I'll drink it, and then it's done. And then I'm like waiting, waiting, waiting. And I'm like, I can't fucking take it anymore. Just crash. And then I then I get another huge coffee. So it's like instead of drinking fucking twenty small coffees throughout the day, it's just like two large coffees. Like that's what I'm going for. Which I, I definitely feel way better. You know what I mean? And I think my my tolerance limit for has gotten better. Like I've gone, I can go longer without coffee for longer longer stretches. But I'm like. 
there's no fucking way I can. Yeah. I need that afternoon coffee to get through the rest of my day. <laughs> it's definitely brutal. Yeah. That you, I mean, have you tried giving it up with the headaches and uh, yeah. and the body cramps and like it's? And I, I'm a fucking yeah. asshole. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I the the few times that I've am. done it, I become like just I, I'm so grumpy. It's like the filter yeah. of things that pisses you off just becomes like wide open. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like just like, like my, my my fuse gets this big. Yeah. Like it's nano like yeah it's so small like, like i get yeah. that like mm. <laughs> yeah you gotta go into like seclusion for like right you know and even that, four but, days but then so the like, fucked up thing is like it's not even external anymore i get like internally mad yeah. at shit like, yeah. i'm like why am i doing this why am i doing this <laughs> <laughs> oh and then like so this is how fucked i up i am about coffee is like I can like I'll put clothes on and not have coffee and be like, oh, this shirt is like all like not fitting right, and I'm like, oh, like my pants are like not comfortable, and I have one cup of coffee and I'm like, feel good, like everything's good, like my pants fit great, my shirt fits great, like you, that's how fucked up you, I am. That, with coffee. That, that's yeah. some serious addiction. It really is, man. Like I feel like I feel so much better with myself after a right. cup of coffee. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> It's like you can't even the world your sucks. The world's gonna end. Hold on, I need some attitude adjustment. Where's yeah. my coffee? So, so, like, well, that's the other thing too. Is like I've joked about this, but like, I secretly, in the back of my mind, not like this is gonna sound fucked up, but in the back of my mind, go to bed some nights, waking up hoping that this is a zombie apocalypse. Only if there's coffee. Like, if there's a zombie <laughs> apocalypse and I have coffee, I'm like, yeah, let's, let's fucking do this. I'm conquering the day. See, this, this, <laughs> this, you're gonna be in the next like. You know, zombie movie, and it's be, it'd be like you know Woody Harrelson looking for the Twinkie. Yeah. You'd be going from like convenience store to convenience That's store me. looking for coffee. Well, so like, the, oh, I found a bag in New England. Here's, We're good to go. Here's the funnier thing. This, it's funny you say that because uh, I used to. So there's this kid. Um, Scott knows him. Uh, he's the kid that you trained with on Tuesday. The purple belt, Matt. Okay, yeah. I used to live with Matt for like two and a half years. We lived together, and. Uh, we used to watch Zombieland all the time, and it was funny because he was uh, what was the what was Jesse Eisenberg's name in fucking Zombieland? Uh, fucking it was like Halifax or something like that. And Woody Harrelson was Tallahassee, right? And he's like, "That's us." Like I was always Tallahassee because <laughs> like he jumps in the car and he's like, "Hey, you want to team up? Whatever." And he's like, "I don't do well with people, and I'm sensing you're a little bit of a bitch." <laughs> 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 like like that was us it's so funny it's the same thing like he's like and he used to say the same thing he's like your twinkie is a cup of coffee yeah like that's like you get a coffee and you're like fucking columbus. right columbus. columbus yeah columbus and tallahassee i'm like see this this keeps on bringing me back to i really think that like i i i really honestly want to see you go through coffee withdrawals for for four days we wouldn't and, be friends anymore yeah like you would. you would you would like, no, because on the fifth day Do- you get to have coffee again. Dover would be in flames. It's it's you know? almost. But thing is, like when when you when you go through a coffee withdrawal and then you get back and and then you have your first cup of coffee afterwards, it's like rocket fuel. Your body. Re- it's almost like you're you're internally resetting your clock. And then like I'm pretty sure we'd have to activate the national guard. <laughs> it's just morning. Yeah. yeah. I go twelve hours of drinking coffee. Yeah. Can fuel. I do it every day? Right. No problem. I got the 12 hours of a draw every night. <laughs> How the hell do we get off subject? I love it. <laughs> I, I'm still trying to I'm trying I'm trying to remember how the hell we started talking about cookie puss. <laughs> I don't know. 
Like I told you, I've been hit in the head a couple of times. I don't remember. That's what this podcast is all about. Yeah. Stream of consciousness. <laughs> we should just start a club. Concussions, concussions Anonymous. Yeah. Yeah. No one would one show up. Right. I can't but, remember but, what time I, it is. I by the way, the if, fucking, if, you haven't, the meeting. if you haven't watched the movie Concussion, watch it. Yeah. It's good. It's a very, very good movie. And I mean it, it gives a very, very like broad overview of uh of, of concussions, but um you wanna further your knowledge about concussions, listen to Joe Rogan interviewing Laura Rhonda Patrick. Rhonda Patrick. Yeah. Talks about uh what happens in the brain with concussions. Well, I, I got hit so hard one time. You know like the old TVs when you'd lose like the guns, like there was a red gun and a blue gun and a green gun. You ever have like the old tube televisions? You mean yeah. There'd be the different colors. There was a different cath like a colored, colored guns, right? Yeah. So that the TV would blow out, and then you'd only have like the green gun left. So the whole picture would go green. All right. That happened to me. I got hit so hard, I lost the red and blue guns. I got up; the entire world was a shade of green. <laughs> yeah. Wow. For like, what's that? How long did it take to get back? I uh, so this is the deal. I got hit. I remember getting up; the world was green. I was a freshman in high school playing football. I still remember the play. I still remember the guy, the moment before he hit me. I remember walking off the field, and then I remember being on the bus. Apparently, I played the entire second half. I was a raging a-hole. Uh, I don't remember any of it. And so that was like the pre-concussion, like you rub wow. some dirt in it and get back into it. It's like uh, if you want to listen to another like kind of good um, – concussion thing is um it's the take it uneasy podcast with jared wiener um i would we're going so um kind of a good time to bring this up is on the 23rd and the 24th of april i'm teaching with a bunch of other black belts a seminar down in philadelphia to benefit mission 22 which is a uh, organization to combat veteran suicide uh 22 veterans every day (laughs) kill themselves because of PTS and other things. And this charity um, raises funds to get these veterans help and things like that. So um, down at Jared's school, I'm teaching a few techniques and a bunch of other high-level black belts teaching a few techniques. It's uh, the 23rd and 24th of April. It's $65. I'm pretty sure it starts at 11 o'clock. Um, it should be a good time. I know on the Friday before, that Jared's going to have an open mat, open everybody, and we're going to go down and, and get some rolling in and then do the seminars. Um, but he suffered from post-concussion syndrome pretty bad because he got like three concussions in a row like three days in a row and like went through all these withdrawals and like talks talks about all his ordeal or whatever and if like that was one of those like because i've known jared for no or known jared for known of jared for a long time but i didn't really wasn't really close to him till kind of in the past like two years or so um or a year or so and uh that was kind of before I really was close to him and he put up all these blog posts about everything that was happening to him. But the podcast in his own words, you kind of really kind of can start to understand everything that you could go through. And I wasn't aware of all of the stuff that happens because of post concussion syndrome. Yeah. Um, but that's a, listen to him talk about that stuff is it's, it's what I do love though. is like, so we've been able to see that a lot in the rugby world. There's a lot. I mean, we got really unfortunate last year. We almost had like you know one concussion a game there for a while. Just just a bad string of luck, you know. So we do we can you know do a little more tackling practice. Right. But again, it's it's this whole learning process where not to put your head. Right. And um, but I really it is pretty cool that they have a much better protocol now. The kids get back into you know um, 
into physical fitness slowly right. and they kind of you know look out for the neurological things and then make sure that they're kind of really fully healthy before they're out there getting possibly hit again so yeah i'm hoping that like we change this whole tide that would be really amazing i think also some of the interesting things happening with concussions is like the the um the other um kind of fields of medicine there are or things they're playing with to help mm-hmm. preserve the brain like the, the the cold shock and the heat shock like yeah talking about now like an ice bath when you get a, after you get a concussion is really good because it that gets those cold shock proteins is one of the things that Rhonda Patrick was talking about and it like floods your brain with those endorphins and, and the, the cold shock proteins to kind of repair it right sooner you know what I mean yeah like, things like that so it's kind of interesting like it's also amazing how much how little isn't actually known about the brain you right know what I mean like that's insane like they, they're kind of just scratching the surface about everything that goes on in there you know yeah yeah if, if the brain was simple enough that we could understand it we wouldn't be smart enough to understand the brain right and vice yeah. versa it's, it's the that's only, a deep it's thought the, of the day right there it's the only organ. that's like a like I felt like I channeled Robbie there for a second right like it just <laughs> he just came out of nowhere it's the only organ that can think about itself that's right yeah that's a mind blower yeah, I, just, I, I still think it's fast. Oh, I mean, like on a very, very simple level, you open the brain up and it's gray jello. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and think about like I, was, I, think, I don't know. Think, if think about like gonna, I don't know if it's just gray jello. I thought he was going to say it was delicious. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, let's, let's be so, fair. Sun brain is delicious. Um, so. Uh, uh, my my meaning is is that like think about like everything that you know all the memories you retain all the words that you know like all your thinking all your cognitive like it, like this just pile of gray goo yeah. controls all of that and and like if you really really think about it it's just like wow it's like there's no there's no digital construct there's no I mean, you you look at a computer and you look at all the like the the, the buses and, and and all the little inner workings of a computer. Be like, and you just look at it, and be like, wow, this is how it works. It's just like this intricate like web of all this technology. And you open up the brain, and you're like, jello mold. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think one of the things I was most surprised about learning about the brain was like how much energy it actually uses. Right. And so you start thinking about your energy balance throughout the day and like, hey, well, I ran this, I did this, I have this many calories. And it's like no one accounts for the fact that like you were at work all day do, writing something or doing math or whatever. And, you know, you just used up 20 percent of your energy or whatever it might be just to think like that's pretty amazing. Well, that's like I don't know uh, how guy how like but like I haven't played video games for a long time oh, and then yeah. the other day i sat down and i like just fucked around for like an hour playing video games and i couldn't fucking believe how exhausted i was right after playing video games i'm like what is going on here yeah. why am i so exhausted i didn't do anything sat on this goddamn couch yeah but you like it but you use a, a lot of power yeah. to like to, to to get that brain right. cranking you know yeah man That's... you gotta you gotta fuel it mm-hmm. right. you had another reason to eat more Carvel cake sugar Carvel, no. fuel that brain. Yeah, no. I think that's what my my brain is completely made of sugar. I think. Yes. It's that it's that Jello mold, man. It's that's it. Oh, food, food, food coloring and sugar. That's all my brain is. <laughs> you gotta get those get the fruit bits in the that's right. Jello mold. That's right. <laughs> um. So, uh, aside from all these 
I'll also, Dif- I have a full-time job. Yeah. You believe that? Yeah. Uh, yeah, my full-time job, I'm, I work uh, in the National Laboratory System. So, I, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, from like, you know, the normal business hours, 40, 50 hours a week, I actually work for uh, Argonne National Laboratory. They're out of Chicago, and they're part of the Department of Energy lab system. So it was like one of the places where like the first nuclear reactor was built. They did some work on the Manhattan Project, all that sort of cool stuff. There's a whole bunch of buildings over there. I, I, I'm not allowed in, that type of stuff. So, um, yeah, and I mainly work kind of in, in infrastructure protection and um, some kind of federal, you know, support of federal law enforcement, stuff like that. So yeah. basically the technology sector. Um, the, the, the data, like, yeah, I mean, I, I, a little bit more of my past was, was, uh, was kind of in the cyber infrastructure. So it was before going to the lab, I've only been in the lab about a year. Uh, prior to that, I was with like a private engineering firm and that was actually some of the work I did there. I can, I can kind of talk about, and that was fun. That was all catastrophic planning. So that was hmm. like helping cities. Like if you literally had Godzilla stomp out of the water and stomp all over, you know, Metro Boston or something like how would you continue to govern? And so a lot of that went back to uh, the planning we were doing was all related to catastrophic cyber attack. So if you had a catastrophic loss of the internet or your IT infrastructure, like literally how would you continue to govern? How would you get these business processes to continue on? All that sort of stuff. So it was really, it was really cool. It was really cool. And it was a little terrifying in some ways to, to just start peeling back the covers to realize how fragile it all is. Well, one, yeah, absolutely how <laughs> fragile it is, but also just how dependent upon it we are. Right. You know, that there's, there, there was this kind of like, I think I'm the last generation where there were paper processes for things. Right. Right. And, and we're slowly losing kind of my generation to retirement to where, you know, there is no paper process to go back it's all to the cloud. It's all, yeah. I mean, it's like, that's, yeah, you know how, how do you move how do you move money around right. without the internet now right. you know what i mean we there's we just don't right, right. you know how do you uh, you know we already know like hospitals like you know they need they need the it systems to dispense meds to manage yeah. patients I, all patients actually, records are ele- electrical now so like we start getting to these issues where you know some some guy with a backhoe that didn't call dig safe can actually like you know <laughs> oh, fuck. can like <laughs> You know what I mean? That's kind of the reality that we're in now, right. you know? And, and then now we connect all these, you know, we've, I mean, I'm only stating stuff that's been in the news for years, but we're, we're now, because of efficiency's sake, connecting a lot of stuff to the internet to monitor it, to control it, because it reduces the amount of staff you need. But now that stuff's connected to the internet. So we have, you know, smart meters and all that sort of crazy stuff that's out there that kind of changes the landscape a bit. So the bad guys now instead of actually needing physical access to something, can have cyber access to something and potentially do some damage. So things have really changed. And it's, uh, you know, and so I didn't work as much on the prevention side. I did a lot more of the effects-based planning, like, okay, right. you know, everything just went bad. Now what are you going to do? So, and, and bad beyond, there's a, there's a lot of effort done on like business continuity planning <clears throat> and all that sort of stuff. But a lot of that looks like, like, you're going to get help in, a, in three days. And a lot of the planning I did, it was, you're not getting help. <laughs> like, it just ain't coming. <laughs> right. I, you know? I, I have kind of like a nerd question. Yeah. Um, Let's geek out. Uh, so we all know the destructive nature of a bomb. Yes. <clears throat> what I mean, what, what a bomb does, because it's, we've had bombs in the past. 
we know what bombs do. We know what the aftermath of a bomb is, nuclear and whatever. Yeah, and there's a lot, and we've seen what we can, you know, without getting too crazy, is like we can just look at stuff that's happened in recent past. Northridge earthquake. We can look at things like a blackout in New York. Yeah, the black the 2003 blackout. We can look at Sandy yeah. with the blackouts that happened there, and we can kind of see. You know, we can take a lot of lessons learned from that. You know what I mean? I was able to go down and do some work down in Wall Street area, the area that got flooded, and it was kind of interesting to see. You know, why did some of the buildings fail? Like, why did they get you know 40 feet of water in the basement? You right. know what I mean? Where like other buildings didn't. Right. You know, and so there was a lot. There's there's it's one of these topics that. You know, it is it is insanely complicated. I think that's I think that's one of the things. Like even going back to some of our earlier conversations in this podcast, where the general public can see the surface of something and they think they understand it, and they just don't like same thing with like law enforcement. They can see the surface of it, think they understand it, but the whole complexity of 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 these systems that underlie kind of our daily life they're they're pretty complicated, and there's right. a lot of parts and moving pieces. And there's also a lot of resilience and a lot of redundancy that we don't see. Right. So it's not just like automatically, you know, you turn the power off, things go to hell. It doesn't work like that. There's a lot that like, you know, still functions and still works along. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely been a really interesting career on that side with working with, you know, catastrophic planning and cyber infrastructure. And I've done a lot of other sorts of infrastructure work um, around the country. And it's, it's, been, it's been neat. It's been neat hitting some, you know, being able to go and see the insides of some facilities that are, you know, the people are doing it right. right. You know, see some stuff that's like wicked impressive and be like, wow, that's like you guys are doing it right. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's fun stuff. It really is. I, so from your kind of life experience with your regular job and um, then kind of combining that with your work in law enforcement, what advice would you give to someone to be prepared for that kind of situation as far as like, is, is there like something like these are the amount of skills you should have. This is the, the, the amount of uh, resources you should have available. Don't worry about this, but worry more about this. Like what, what from your, just from your experience without getting too detailed, what are some things that you think would so behoove you to have? I'm not like a crazy prepper, right? But I have worked in catastrophic planning for several years, right? So <laughs> okay. it does taint my view of the world, right? right? So, um, Couple of feet, couple of weeks of food and water, and cash, like that's the absolute minimum, because ATMs aren't going to work. There probably will still, you know, if something, even if it's something happens locally or regionally, um, you know, a couple of weeks of food and water, cash, gasoline, right? right? Gasoline is going to be key because you're not going to. We saw that with Sandy, just there was gas available, but um, but it was hard getting trucks into different places. And also there was some issue with like them rerouting tankers and where they were going because ports were closed because it was debris in the harbor and all that sort of stuff. So like, right. and the Sandy was not like, if you look at the, the scale of events, like Sandy was bad, but it wasn't even a hurricane when it hit New York. All right. I mean, it, it, it dropped below. It was just the, the storm surge had just hit kind of perfect and just funneled all the water up into the New York bite. I mean, so like, it wasn't like, you know, like an Andrew style event hitting manhattan or hitting you right. know, new england um and that's something i think too that like you know i'm, I'm hoping you have some listeners down kind of gulf coast or whatever that like us northerners up here new englanders like we're pretty blessedly free of natural disasters like i had a tough go of it for a bunch of years trying to convince you know new englanders and bostonians to take 
catastrophic planning seriously. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like our worst thing is we get an ice storm or a snowstorm. We turtle up for three or four days. We come back out. Like Like the the wood stove. Yeah. Like the wood (laughs) stove. You know what I mean? Like get your milk and bread. Yeah. Yeah. Make the, that's right. Milk and bread. Um, (laughs) So like, so Sandy was a bit of an odd thing to actually come up while we were doing that to like, oh wow, something bad can happen. Because that, but remember Sandy was still only locally damaging. Right. Right. And it was like Rockaway, Manhattan, couple right. parts of jersey right. atlantic city uh, ac yeah i mean the jersey shore got hit hard right. but i mean the effects went away 10 miles inland right right you know irene was tough on vermont i mean vermont lost like hundreds of bridges right you know so both people that live in vermont like we're really no, <laughs> sorry i lived in vermont for a long time and i miss i miss the guy i miss the uh Matt Green Frazier and his two parents yeah exactly um so you know, but we go to other parts of the country, like, you know, Florida and the Gulf Coast, Louisiana, Mississippi, like when a hurricane comes through there, like there's nothing left across like huge areas of land. And then the flooding goes so far inland. It's so flat there. So it's like really different when we think about scale of disaster here in New England towards like other like, parts of the country. Katrina happened. I remember like, I can't forget what year did Katrina happen? It was like, oh, seven. Is that when it like 10 years ago, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was close. I should know that offhand. I don't remember 07, 08, yeah, I think. But I just watched, um, well, not not just watched, but within the past year, there's a good HBO documentary called uh, When the Levee Breaks. Yeah. It's a three-part documentary. And that was 2005. 2005. Yeah. And it was one of those things where I, I mean, was probably too young and naive to be even paying attention to what happened. But they go through the whole, like, all of these different, like, scenarios that happen and I that was I was like I had no idea. Yeah, all this stuff happened. And, and you got to remember too Katrina. that like Katrina was it was a hurricane. It wasn't that bad. It right. just happened to dump a lot of water in in Pontchartrain, right? So right. like like other if that levee didn't break, if those pumps didn't fail, right. we would not ever be talking about Katrina. Right. I mean like Andrew and some of those other ones like Rita, like were so much more damaging with winds and, and inland flooding. Um, but you know, once that start, once that chain of events started, man, boy, did that that make Katrina kind of go south. Right. You know, building a city under sea level <laughs> when you're next to the sea is ill advised. <laughs> just gotta say that. <laughs> I just what could go wrong? I know. <laughs> if you want to build, like, you're gonna be in Death Valley or something like that. Right. Like, Where that's no water. Yeah. Then I'm then I'm a little bit more okay with that, but right. it's yeah, it's it's a tough situation they have there because it's just they're, you know, they're fighting Mother Nature, right? And in the long term, she always wins, right? Like there is no, she never loses in the long term. You just came back from New Orleans, did, like I did. Are they still seeing effects from that? Like, um, not that no. I really know. I mean, it's not like you can walk around and see like like evidence of it. It's been 10 years, so yeah. there's been a lot of rebuilding. And, and it's a pretty resilient, I mean, they're pretty resilient people down there in a pretty resilient yeah. city. So they, they just, they just need of... to get back to drinking, and it was all cool from there. On. <laughs> Once Bourbon Street opens, that's it. The, the city's good to go, yeah. I know a guy yeah. who had an alcohol museum down there and, like, lost everything mm. because of fucking uh, Katrina. That's like, terrible. Yeah, but. But it was, like, he was... The cool, like he showed me a bunch of pictures and like had some of the stuff from the alcohol museum, and it was it was really cool. It was like the most comprehensive alcohol really museum cool. in the world, and it was like had all this stuff and and like the, I guess like that the water rose so bad that it was his museum was on the second floor of a building, and the water rose so bad that 
the uh, like all of the it's like the next two floors soaked up the water. Yeah, so that's how it. Like he's like, I didn't even get any flooding. It was just all the residual like uh, steam and and yeah. condensation, whatever that did it all in. Yeah, like, that was that was the craziest part to me. It was like because the water just sat there and sat there and sat yeah. there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because yeah, it, it nowhere to go. Nowhere to go. Right. Yeah. 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 I know. I I I remember when talking to one of the bartenders and asking him about, like, well, he was around for it, and he's like, yeah, I saw the storm coming, and I just left. I left. I took off for for a couple of months. Went went and did something else, and came back. Yeah. And he talked about it like it was no big thing. Right. Well, that was it. Well, you got. I mean, like. They get hurricanes all the time. Right, that's what they're saying about right. what was the big problem with Katrina was is that like I mean, no one took it seriously. Yeah, like, that's what that documentary was saying is like everyone's like, oh, we got to get the fuck out of here, and like, nah, we'll we're fine. Hang out. You know, we've done this like right. a thousand. We do this like five times a year right. for the past you know thousand years. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That one that gets you. <laughs> Just the one. Just the one. Yeah. No. So I've I've really had a chance to to to, to do some really cool stuff, and I'm doing some some really cool stuff with the lab now and being able to work with. Uh, you know DHS and FEMA and a few other agencies, and that's been it's been really cool. We're getting some really awesome sponsors and some really really cool projects. So very blessed on that side to be able to to do that stuff. A lot of travel, but um, you know I'm I'm at that point now where like that passenger shaming dot com. Have you seen that yet? <laughs> yeah. I'm like all over that. Like <laughs> like I'm gonna now I'm gonna be like their number one submitter now. All of a sudden, you know, like what is passenger shaming? So it's so it's a website that just Put shows photos of 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 travelers just doing terrible things, like the <laughs> like the barefoot person on the on the seat behind you putting their feet up between the seat. Oh, you know, throwing the ponytail over your over their seat so they you, you can't see the TV. <laughs> you know, just all of those horrible things that like you see when you 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 know just you put on a hundred thousand plus miles. Right. Yeah. What the fuck's going on around yeah. here? I'm not in the million mile club, thank God, but I don't travel that much. But it's I get I get out quite a bit, which has oh. been good. Be you get long, into a rhythm, man. It'll it's, be a long time before I want to travel again. I, I did a couple I did no, three plane flights in, in the last like few months and like every time it was on American <laughs> was Eagle. Like, oh you bitch. I, yeah, exactly. I know, right? <laughs> like, but Toughen I up, baby. It, it was yeah. on American Eagle every single time and if that's not the worst airline you can yeah. possibly get into. I'm a I'm a Jet Blue fan. Me too, man. Jet, yeah. If I can fly Jet Blue, I fly Jet Blue, man. Yeah. I'm mosaic now, so I just kinda I get there. I saunter on. We get. We boarded first. Right. No fees to change flights. Right. That's pretty cool. Like once you hit that status, it's actually worth it because then like you just you just roll in, roll out. It's pretty nice. I flew JetBlue from Boston direct flight to San Diego there yeah. and two, and it was fucking like. Granted, it was long. It was on JetBlue. Yeah. And I went from. I'm not even kidding you. I went from uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, to Boston. Fraction of the time, worst flight I've ever been on. Right, just because it was a different airline. Yeah, like, I was like, this is fucking terrible. Yeah, there are some terrible, terrible outline, airlines out yeah, there, man. and so JetBlue is really good with their customer service yeah. and all that, which is so give yeah. me a free plug right now. But <laughs> I, it's I've done that San Diego flight like usually have Wi Fi, uh, got a yep. good movie, some TV, whatever. They yeah. at least make it semi enjoyable. Like, yeah, you know, comfortable, no. comfortable. Uh, American Eagle, you are not no, comfortable. I think that's what I, I said on the I said on the runway in Reagan for three hours before they decided to be like, "Hey, 
it's not snowing very hard, but we're just not going to be able to take off. Yeah. So we're going to put you back in the terminal and not give you any information on when the next flight's actually going to be yeah. or if you're going to be flying at all. Yeah. So um, in other words, go fuck yourself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that seems to be the... Uh... But the shawarma at Reagan Airport. I don't know if you found the oh shawarma. God. Absolutely. There's, there's like this yeah. one one Lebanese place that yeah. serves shawarma. It's I like, know exactly. It's like I had meat, it. I had it probably spit. no less than two weeks ago. Yeah. I, I heard that like... It's real, too. Um, it's, like, it's like they're carving down the meat on the side of the I don't spit. know. I, f- I forget where it is. It might be O'Hare in Chicago or, or something like that, but like that's like the new hot spot for... Um, or like airline... I don't I think it's a couple airlines here, but it's like the new hot spot for... Like, um, like artisan places to put because the, the, no one wants to be in an airport, so right. they're getting real estate there or places to rent super cheap. So, like, the, I, there's like a lot of craft beer, like awesome craft beer places inside airports now. Like, that's interesting. Yeah, and yeah. Like, like that's like the new rage is like put your trendy restaurant or eatery or whatever in an airport, and it's also one of like, and I guess business is insane because if you have a good restaurant in an airport. There's a million people yeah. walking by every day. They're gonna go in. I tell you, man. I always, I always, I always thought I could make my make my millions by doing those little micro hotels in a. In an oh, airport. it's just like a sleeping in the oh bunk. Oh my god! Right. There's so many times I'd be like, man, I would pay an incredible sum just to lie down and sleep for an hour, right. like on something comfortable. I was, I never understood why they didn't take off. <laughs> what are those? Um, yeah, that could be why. <laughs> <laughs> I I know. I know. There'd have to be like CCTV and somebody like Derek as the bouncer. So, so just so everybody clues in. No, uh, no, it's okay. We we don't have to. They'll figure it out. Somebody's butter churning. Yeah, they'll figure it out. Money runner, money runner, money runner. So this is exactly the reason why I don't own those. But you could. But I could. It would be a moneymaker. And it would be a moneymaker. It would be a moneymaker. It would be a moneymaker. There's no doubt. Every every tire traveler knows it. Well, it's almost a guarantee that's going to happen if you put it in Terminal D in Philadelphia. That happens. Have you you been to Terminal D in Philadelphia? That happens out in Terminal D without the micro. (laughs) What is up with Terminal D? The airport in Reno. Yeah. You you walk down Terminal D in Philadelphia and it's just like tumbleweeds and... Yeah. Well, it's also and also like I don't know about like it's also Philadelphia. Like we're going to that seminar, and I'm like, Jared, really? Where's Philly? Yeah, like where's a good place to stay? And there was only two. (laughs) I thought he was going to say like he's like, yeah, the best thing you can do is Trenton, Cambridge. Well, he's like he's like you should stay in Willow Grove or City Center. Everywhere else, avoid. Yeah. (laughs) Like all right, that fucking narrows it down quite a bit. Yeah, it's easier. Like you talk about Boston, you got to avoid. You know, in Boston, what in larger Boston area, you have to avoid like two neighborhoods. And, and and even if you go there, you stop. You're probably still okay, right? And they're getting better. Like, I, like Dorchester. Dor- well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, Dorchester was like the neighborhood to avoid forever. It's becoming really yeah. gentrified. Same with JP. Be- you right. know what I mean? Like because of uh, UMass Boston. Yeah, like UMass Boston has changed. I remember. So I have a friend that's from Southie. He's from like. South Boston, uh, that I trained jujitsu with for a while, and I remember it was like uh, right around St. Patrick's Day, and we went and trained down in Boston. And he was like, "Yeah, we'll just go to my parents' house and shower or whatever, and we'll hang out or whatever." And I'm like, 
fucking, I'm a white guy. I'm not sure I even want to go to South Boston. And we got there and it was fucking awesome. Yeah. Like this, this is not what I imagined this to be at all. It's gotten way better. Yeah. And like the, all of Boston is becoming very gentrified. Yeah. Well, there's a few, you know, again, I get, I get the, I get to travel quite a bit. And so there's a few cities and Philly's one of them that like, there's like areas you can go right. everywhere else is off. Right. You know, I apologize to the Philly people. You probably don't feel this way, but that's kind of, how, and you know, Cleveland, well, especially if a few other cities like that. that I'm just town, like, yeah, if you're out of town, right. you don't know. I heard Detroit's really, really nice to visit. You can go everywhere. As in, like, you can go everywhere and there's no one there? Is that, like... You can buy a house for $50? Yeah. yeah. I actually heard that, like, that's, like, what a lot of people are doing. They're making, like, hippie communes yeah. now. They're, like, buying... Makes sense. Make a whole like, block. Ranchacked houses and, like, tearing out the lawns and putting in gardens. Yeah. In Philadelphia. Yeah. Very Because cool. you can buy real estate for cheap money now. That's cool. Yeah. All right. Well... Covered a lot of ground today. You covered a lot of ground. <laughs> Thank you for coming on to the podcast, Kevin. This was awesome. Thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. Anything you want to push and or make people aware of before we wrap this up? No, I you know I I thank you guys all the time. I you know that we're ever proven is technically a sponsor here. Right. I, I got to get you some stuff or something because like. <laughs> well, I don't I don't know if we're helping your business at all. I, yeah, maybe that's true. Maybe I got to like evaluate that as to. Uh, Maybe just stop saying it. That's no, uh, I no, I appreciate it. every time I, I when I tune in and, and you guys do the uh, the pitch at the beginning. I sincerely appreciate that. So hopefully, uh, hopefully we're doing some good things. We have the new gym opening up, so anyone that's in earshot that has a has a chance to stop by, I'd probably be somewhere around in May. We're looking for May first, but that might uh, that might push to June, just depending on when the asphalt plants open up and all that sort of fun stuff. So uh, the new gym is going to be amazing. It's got. Uh, we're looking about seven thousand square feet. Going to have that's crazy. It's, it's like an aircraft hangar, Derek. Right. Man, you're just so much room for activities, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and nice showers. Uh, we, you know, we, we we gave a lot of thought to like you know how to you know good changing room showers, some treatment rooms. So we're looking at having some some kind of nice partnerships with massage therapists and OTs and, and chiropractors and all that sort of stuff. So that like we can work on mobility a little bit more and. We just put out a little member survey, got got some good ideas for some new stuff to do to keep everybody uh, mobile and rolling, and and uh, would love to, you know, at some point we want to talk about getting some some jujitsu over there and uh, yeah, yeah. roll out some mats It'll and definitely happen at some point. Yeah, I cannot wait to just open up those hangar doors and just go outside. Uh, <laughs> and that's the whole thing too is having access. We have access to like a playing field. We have access to like a well, it's a it's a hay field, but right. it happens to be flat, right. so that's a playing we'll, we'll field make to me. A playing field. <laughs> so, uh, and then there's a larger kind of like uh, it's a little bit mushier, a little wetter, but we probably could put some running trails in there, and so there's access to a ton of. So I'm really looking forward to just being that sort of inside outside space that we've never had before. So it's getting um, more complete. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's and and I'm I'm really thrilled about it. So thank you guys for all your effort to. Uh, to push that and, and thanks Scott for continuing to be an awesome coach and member of the community there. Thank you. Oh, I, I, this, well, before we wrap up and, and I, I will say this just because Scott usually does the, um, the, the ad for ever proven is, um, if you guys are in the area and you're looking for a place to go and train, even if you're not really interested in CrossFit, but you want to, you know, get some, some more fitness, um, 
and I didn't wasn't aware of this when I signed up there or whatever, of how complete of a gym Ever Proven is. Um, you guys have done a great job uh, kind of gathering the resources that a lot of gyms don't have. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, not every gym has a GHD machines. Not every gym has that five, many assault right? bikes. Not yeah. that many gym has that many rowers and things like that. They have done a very good job over there. You guys have done a very good job over there of getting pretty much any piece of equipment that anybody would ever want to elevate their fitness. And on top of that, the coaching is top notch. Yeah. So, you know, um, I know that, I mean, I was talking to someone in the day and they don't even do wall balls at their gym, which is like one of those things where like, how do you what? not do it's wall like a balls? fundamental movement? Yeah. Right. And, but I mean, obviously good, good on them for, for, for making their fitness still happen, but you, you don't have to worry about any of that stuff over yeah. ever proven. Not, I mean, and then on top of that, you know, it sounds like, you know, it's not just the equipment in the gym. The coaching is phenomenal, and they have built a really great community over there. Thank you. Thank you. We've given an awful lot of thought to, like, you know, a lot of gyms will go by with one or two coaches. I think we have nine coaches. So what I, I mean, what I really love about that is we, we really empower the coaches to, to, like, use their style. Back to our earlier discussions on learning and everything else, right? If you had one coach, you're either going to learn his way or you're not. And I think being able to expose people to different coaches and different, you know, ways to learn something and approach a technique. And we all have different specialties, too. I mean, it's like, you know, there's there's things we can and can't see. Um, and and some of us are better with Olympic lifting. Some are better with Metcon. Some are better with technique on certain things. And so I think being able to have that big mix and we've really prioritized that type of instruction um, over pretty much everything else. You know, the the equipment and the instruction has come, you know, way above profit, you know right. what I mean? But more so in just in making that as a foundation to build the community. So I really appreciate your comments on that. Yeah, no problem. So, I mean, and that's kind of what CrossFit's all about. I and mean, you, you could scale it to the lowest ability and at ever proven you could scale it to the highest ability. I mean, you could be if a uh, super serious CrossFit athlete. I mean, we have uh, one of the coaches over there is going to regionals this year, which is awesome. You know, good for Joey Vashon. He's yep. killing it. Um, and I uh, got another uh, athlete who came very close, um, Ashley Studer. And, you know, but they, I think one of the things that has elevated their game is the ability to do all of those serious, the, the nothing hinders them there, you know right. I mean? which is awesome. And, and no, no matter what level you're at, you can get what you need done over there. Cool. Thank so you. Come in yeah. and get it done. Get it, get her done. <laughs> All righty. All right. All right. Thank you for listening, everybody. See you later. Bye. Bye bye.